available in more homes than the Pac-12 Network. We are the Podcast of Champions. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online. And here he goes, Miles Jack! And I'm Ryan Abraham from USCFootball.com. Liner, gonna try to sneak it ahead. Touchdown, SC! We are the Podcast of Champions. Welcome, everyone, back to the Podcast of Champions. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online, the UCLA site on the 24-7 Sports Network. And I'm Ryan Abraham from uscfootball.com, the USC site on the 24-7 Sports Network. And together, we make the Podcast of Champions talking all things Pac-12 football. It's a glorious week. Finally, Ryan beat Dave in the picks, so I'm very happy. We can do a three-hour show, Dave. I don't care. Just (laughs) talking about our picks the entire time. We don't even talk about anything else. Yeah, a, a dominating win, three to two, three and two versus two and three. Well, we're still kind of struggling. Both of us are under five hundred, but uh, at least you know I got one step in the right direction. If you have any questions or comments for us on this show, we do love to hear from you. Packful Podcast at gmail.com is the email address, or if you'd rather call or text, the number is four two four five three two zero six seven eight. You can tweet us or me at Pack Twelve Podcast. Uh, the website, Pac12podcast.com. We put up all the old episodes and we put up the latest power rankings and all of that. Please subscribe and rate us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, TuneIn, uh, Megaphone, anywhere you can get a podcast. You should find the Podcast of Champions and leave something nice for us. A little, It's like a little present. You know, the holidays are coming up. It's like a pre- present under the tree for us, Dave. It really is. It really is. Let's see if we've gotten anything new here in the uh, in the recent past, um, because I'm always interested to see if anybody's left us anything, and it doesn't appear we have anything new. Yeah, which they're is so sad good. for us. It's sad, but they're always so good. Like the, when they leave them, they're these are like great presents. They're like the the main present you get. These aren't like the little you don't get like socks in your stocking. These are whatever we get a review. They're always like a big present. Oh wait, it just wasn't updating. We've got. Wow, we've got two really long ones. Uh-oh. All right, Carlos at UCLA, we're not rating yours. His goes, fantastic analysis, poor literacy is the subject line, which, fair. I mean, I don't even know what he's going to say, but fair. <laughs> uh, we've got one short one. This is from the great Ramboni. Uh, subject line, like it so far. Coworker, USC alum, introduced me, <gasps> UW alum, to the podcast a couple months ago. Your analysis is great, even though your weekly picks are a bit off. <laughs> Not sure if you are making any money from the podcast or if this is merely a hobby, but it may be worthwhile to invest in some better equipment, e.g., example, microphones. I think he means, well, okay, anyway. And perhaps work on the production quality a bit before releasing. Have a good one, KL. Wow. He, he's dropping some sick burns on you, Mr. Producer. <laughs> like the one that has to do all has, the work. Has, has, has nothing to do with my mic and has everything to do with your... Uh, you're, you're just bad production quality, basically. We, we are doing a better job now. We record separate tracks. and uh, Well, the dumb, thing, the dumb thing is I haven't upgraded my mic since we used to do this in person. So I'm still using like the headset microphone uh-huh. situation. I should just get like a stupid stand-up mic because I don't need this thing anymore. Like, right, we you were don't need doing that when we were in studio. So I really should because those things aren't that expensive and it would make this sound a lot better. But I do have like two warring considerations. One 
deeply cheap person and two deeply lazy person. <laughs> um, and both of those keep me from doing it. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I, I'm sorry you don't like our production value. We, we, we do our best. I am not someone who edits the podcast for uh, every um and but and like, and I don't do that. I don't go through it. Now, I, I do a radio show for USC, and we have to like cut every segment to 12 minutes. So I do, I go through like meticulously through that. For this, it's a two hour show. I mean, literally, unless there's a big mistake or there's something we have to change, I put the two tracks together, I do some sound corrections on it, and it goes up the way it is. Um, that's just the way we do it. It just would take hours. Like, we're not making money off of this, really. So it's just more about entertainment value. And I hope you guys like it. I think most people seem to like the the banter we have, the chemistry we have. And, you know, we know what we're talking about sometimes. Most of the time, we don't. And that's kind of, that's like the charm of the show. Um, that's you- the that's the best part about it for me. <laughs> it's how little we, we actually know about what we're saying. <laughs> And we're still a very popular Pac-12 podcast that's growing all the time. The other review, hey, you know, or this review, thanks for, you know, that's your coworker that that told you to to listen. So that's props to your coworker for pointing it out. We've asked people all the time, hey, if you have a friend that likes the Pac-12, you should tell them about the podcast of champions. Yeah, and then uh, Utah man Paul also gave us a five star rating. His subject line was tainted love. Again, it's a very long thing. What I like about our what I like and I hate about our listeners, uh, but mostly what I like, is that they've never met a single word that they didn't think could be five. Um, <laughs> and that's what I like. So I appreciate that about everyone, but it does make it a tough um, a tough read sometimes. Yeah. Uh, so. we did, we've got a, a really good email uh, contribution. So this was uh, – when you guys – later on, you're going to see. It's really good stuff. So uh, we thank you. Uh, to our emailer Phil, uh, we'll we'll get to that in a little bit. So that was one that was short and sweet, and packs a lot of punch. We like those, but typically, like what David said, we get the long and drawn out and difficult to read ones. Those are great. Yeah, absolutely. A <laughs> uh, few notes. So only two Pac-12 teams in the AP poll, but they're both in the top ten. Oregon is seven. Utah is uh, nine. If you read Matt Prem puts out the power rankings each week and you know Dave and I both put them up on our sites. Crazy, it's it's basically after 1 and 2, it's a mess. Like you don't know who's any who goes anywhere. Before it was like the bottom half was a mess. Now it's like everybody's a mess. Yeah, it is um I, I mean I I don't want to give a sneak preview, but the messiest part about it is that UCLA is now a top half team in the Pac-12. Yeah. Like how That's how messy it, it is. Uh, like we have two teams in the top half that previously occupied number twelve. If that's to give a little, you know, UCLA was number twelve at one point, right? I think we we had them there, or yeah, pretty UC- close, if not. Yeah, UCLA was definitely number twelve at one point. Um, I want to say maybe after losing to Oregon State, um, and they've now risen to yeah. to, num- to number six. Just a just a preview. Um, that's crazy. And I believe Stanford was also number 12 at one point. Were they not? Or were they, did they not get there? I it, think I think three teams, well, four teams now, I think with Colorado, have shared number 12. And I think Stanford was number 12 at one point. Wow, yeah. And now also in the top half. So crazy. We'll get to... We'll get to all that uh, fun stuff. Should I do the... Uh, we don't have to do the, the um, suicide pool anymore. That's over. 
Uh, let's go with the Pac-12 Players of the Week. C.J. Verdell uh, for Oregon on offense. He ran for 475 yards, something like that. I don't know what the exact number was, but he he had an amazing performance. Paulson Adebo, uh, the cornerback for Stanford, he had at least two interceptions in that one. And Camden Lewis, the uh, kicker for Oregon, hits that game winner. So kind of uh, no-brainers there. Uh, for the linemen, Shane Lemieux, um, offensive lineman for Oregon. He plays guard. And Lakey Fotu, defensive lineman for Utah. He's just an absolute beast in the middle. And then Keaton Slovis was the freshman of the week, throwing for over 400 yards in the win over Colorado. So those are your players of the week. Very cool. Yeah. Congratulations to all of them. We we actually had um, – I might as well read this right now. We had a question from old Michael. He says, thanks for the podcast. I have a suggestion. The Pac-12 weekly honors are boring. Well, well, thanks, old Michael. Uh, you need your own <laughs> weekly awards. Something in the spirit of the podcast of champions. For example, worst decision by an official or crew. How about worst coaching decision of the week? I'm sure listeners can come up with it with other ideas. Old Michael. Did we talk about this a little before or something? Maybe. Um, I want to say we did, and it would just be uh, – it's one of those things that, that gets into, like, the homework side of things. And I think we asked people to submit theirs if they had something like yes, that. Like, if so. they had something that would have been a contender. I think there was a, a specific one about officially officiating, like the worst official, like the worst call or something like that. I think that's what the specific question we got like a week or two ago. Yeah, exactly. Hmm. Yeah. So yeah, send them in. Like if there's, we, it'd be cool to have some, our own awards. I like that. Uh, but we need to have, you know, people sending in uh, their nominations, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. We could do that. Um Picks, like I said, I went three and two. Dave went two and three. We are both under 500. Uh, any notes from our, our intern, uh, Micah, that you like out there? Oh, gosh. Let's see. Um, nope. Don't like any of them. There's some transfer portal oh, stuff. Oh, oh, we've got one. We got one. We got breaking news. Boop, 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 boop. Well, now you're just stealing. You're Hold on. stealing. There we go. There you go. That's better. Yeah. Um, Arizona Wildcats have fired Marcel Yates, defensive coordinator. Yeah. And linebacker coach uh, John Rushing. So I kind of thought Arizona's defense was getting better, but they were not better against USC. They weren't better last week. And boom, uh, big one. So we've had a couple of coordinators, defensive coordinators in the Pac-12 go. And uh, one resign at Washington State, Tracy Clays, and now Marcel Yates, Fourth year at Arizona, he gone. Yeah, I don't know. If Happy gonna, trails. Yeah, Happy trails. If, what's that going to do? Like, it doesn't really fix anything. So basically, you have like analysts on the team that you know you maybe you uh, promote one of them or something. Like, I don't know what they're going to do. Yeah, it's definitely a very um, not great sign for Kevin Sumlin that he's having to fire his defensive coordinator halfway through the second season. Um, that's that's not usually a good thing. Um, speaks to kind of, you know, Arizona floundering a little bit right now. Um, the defense did look like it had improved after, I think, the third game. Like, started to look like it was rounding into form a little bit. And then it's had just kind of some bad showings recently. Um, wasn't showing the kind of sustained improvement that you need. Giving up 51 points to Washington, 41 points to USC, and 41 to Stanford. You just can't do that uh, forever. 
So I think it was a thing that a lot of people were suspecting was you know, potentially going to happen after the opener against Hawaii um, when they just couldn't stop them at all. Um, so he, he, you know, he, I, I think he probably stayed in the job longer than people were expecting after that opener, but um, I think they needed to make a, essentially a sacrifice at this point to um, help account for the four and four season in someone's second year. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll, we'll monitor that going forward. Uh, before we get into our roundup, I want to tell you guys all about my bookie and maybe you listened to my picks last week, made a little bit of money, but during the fall, we all look forward to these weekends. I can't believe two thirds of the season is over, but even more than usual, cause it's college football. We love college football games, pack 12 after dark, those Thursday games, Friday matchups. We all tune in for, there's nothing like checking out football here in the conference of champions. And there's no better way to make the games even more exciting than to bet on them. So do the smart thing. Go to mybookie.ag. No one gives you more ways to win than they do. MyBookie's got the fastest payouts and better lines than any other sports book. Don't forget, where you're betting is just as important as who you're betting on. And mybookie.ag is the best in the business. It's where I play and where you should too. So uh, what they do is they'll take the latest lines, like NCAA football lines, NFL lines, uh, and they got them right there on mybookie.ag, and they will continue. You can continue to bet the games even as they're going on. So they have live in-game betting. That's pretty cool too. So if you see the game going in one direction and you want to place a bet in the second half or something like that, you can do that. So visit mybookie.ag today. You can join now, and they'll double your first deposit up to a thousand dollars if you use promo code PAC12. So activate the offer using promo code PAC12. That's promo code PAC12. MyBookie. You play, you win, you get paid. Beautiful. Got, yeah, but I got paid this weekend, Dave. I mean, this weekend. Yeah. Uh, on the course of the season. Eh, Not so much. Whatever. We're a recent. We're 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 just recent history, though. You know, we are a day to day operation, and right now you're three and two. That's all that matters. You know, it's funny. Like looking at your pick, so you're just barely under uh, five hundred. You've had of nine weeks, two of them were winning. Yeah, this is um this is really a boomer bust situation for me. I had one one good week, really. Week one. Yeah. And then everything else I've just been treading water, treading water, treading water, and now I'm underwater. Yeah. That's a, the week one was the funny thing is cuz I just I said I'm picking all the pack 12 just to be I mean, didn't think it would hurt me that much, but it really did. <laughs> it really murdered you. Yeah. <laughs> Picking the yeah. Pac-12 was my undoing. So just don't do that in the future. Just pick the games you think. But I was like, no, I'm going to go all Pac-12 and show some show some support here on the podcast of champions. You did. And look what that got you. Yeah, it got me nothing. All right. Uh, let's go to our Pac-12 roundup. Yes. Woo-hoo. So good. Now, we have a couple of ties. Uh, so I'll try to mention them. But I'm just going to go in the order that Matt Prem put them in. So... He listed two people at number 11, but I'm just going to call the second team that was listed at number 12. I don't know if it matters all that much. Any objections to that, David? Or no, let's do it. I mean, it's uh, it's it's kind of a mess, but you know, it's a Pac-12. So if it wasn't a mess, what, what would it be? Uh, all right, our number 12 team are really tied for 11th. Colorado Buffalo. And uh, they were hosting uh, number three. USC Trojan. Yeah, and Colorado, uh, they might be my 11 team um, just because the other option, which I think is Cal. I haven't even looked at it. Um, looks yes. so inept of late. Um, but all right, so Colorado on a Friday night um, at home. Um, 
played one of its best games in a while. I'll say that in losing 35-31 to USC. Um, Steven Montez, after looking very bad in the previous couple of games, finally looked a little bit more like the Montez uh, we came to know and love, especially his freshman year. Um, instead of kind of just drifting backwards aimlessly when faced with the pass rush, he actually made some decisive plays with his legs. He had 45 yards on seven carries and was he looked like he was actually trying to move forward, which was good, um, and threw the ball relatively accurately. I thought he was um, not a detriment to Colorado for one of the first times this year. Um, and LaVisca Chenault was phenomenal, um, totally fantastic, and, and USC had basically no prayer covering him. Um, on USC's end, it's more just the case that Colorado wasn't able to consistently stop them over the course of the game, um, and then they were able to rally late uh, to put this one in the win column. Uh, Keaton Slovis, I thought, was pretty good. Um, overall, pretty sharp through a pick, but um, you know, 9.2 yards per attempt. Um, and Keenan Kristen in his first game, you know, as the starter, essentially, uh, did pretty well. Uh, 14 carries for 76 yards, nothing super explosive like he had in his debut last week, but still um, pretty damn good. And they even got the ball to Amon Ross St. Brown out of the backfield a few times, given they're so uh, limited there. But, I I mean, USC was down 31-21 after three, um, and Colorado let him back into it in the fourth quarter. So... That's disappointing for the Buffs. This was totally a winnable game for them. You could make an argument they should have won, um, but just couldn't hang on late. Yeah, um, and I, my mistake, we actually did have Cal. I think they listed Colorado Cal, um, maybe because they felt Cal. I think Cal is probably their number 12 team. So, well, it doesn't matter. Like we said, they're tied. We'll just do them together. But the biggest issue for me, David, no Ralphie. They didn't run Ralphie. That must have been disappointing. For I mean, you. I, I almost that left. was the whole reason you left. That's the whole reason you went to it. I wouldn't have I like if you would have told me Ralphie wasn't running, I may not have covered the game. I may not have gone. <laughs> I, I like I'm not even joking. Like I was like, oh, I kinda like to see Ralphie. Like it's like my favorite thing. And I didn't really need we had three other people there. Like I didn't really need to be there. But I wanted to see some friends and I was like, ah, you know, Ralphie's cool. Like I, I love, I love going to Boulder. It's like one of my favorite trips. So, but if Ralphie wasn't running and I guess he was a little, or she was a little uh, fidgety and they want, you know, so it, it's not often that Ralphie doesn't run, but Ralphie didn't run. And, uh, I was bummed. Yeah. I would have been sad if I were yeah. you. Uh, but yeah, three different leads of 10 points blown by, uh, Colorado. Um, this was Colorado's game to win. I mean, they, you know, you can't say, as bad as they looked against Oregon and as bad as they looked against Washington State, you kind of felt like those road games coming back home, Mustafa Johnson would be a little healthy, although he didn't do much uh, in the game. You you felt like LaVisca Chenault could eventually, he would have that breakout game, which he did. He had a 172 yards receiving and he had a, a long run. But Colorado, is, you, you could tell a team that's still like, you know, trying to find its way, just a lot of unforced errors there was two different occasions where they were down inside the the five yard line. It was like third and one situations. Lavisca Chenault comes in in the Wildcat, and you know, like he's money, and they get a false start, so he doesn't even get the run. You know that happened tw- twice in a row. Then later on, it happened again. He, you know, he ended up running for like seventeen yards or something like that. He was like his old self. Um, Stephen Montez was great, but then once he got he got hit by Hunter Eccles. Uh, late in the game, and he never looked the same in the fourth quarter. 
And I don't think the Colorado coaches did him any favors by, you know, this was a time you could have run the ball more and uh, they were running the ball really effectively. And they would go like three and out throwing three passes with a like dizzy Steven Montez. And you're like, what is going on here? Like, it was almost like you were trying to, to let yeah, USC did, come did back Did you think he it. had a concussion? I kind of think so, yeah. I mean, he didn't even remember like stuff leading up to that hit. Yeah, that was not good. Um, an, a, another thing, and I thought you were going to mention this when you were talking about the couple of things Colorado's coaches did. Um, Mel Tucker, buddy, never oh. <laughs> in life punt from inside the opposing team's 40. Whatever you do, don't punt. Try to try to complete the fourth and thirteen on USC's thirty-seven, and definitely try to complete the fourth and four on USC's thirty-eight. Um, giving the ball back to USC in both of those situations directly led to, um, well, I think the first one didn't, but the second one directly led to the winning score for USC. Yeah, um, don't do that. The whatever, what did he gain in field position? So they were on the thirty-eight, and they eventually got the ball at the ten. They gained 28 yards of field position for turning the ball over. Because that's what a punt is. It's yeah. a turnover. You're turning the ball over. Um, is 28 yards really worth it? Especially on a makeable fourth and four. Um, Montez, two plays before that, had just run for six. Um, they're just uh, That's egregious. And we're going to talk about it more because three friggin' Pac-12 coaches did this this weekend. They punted within the opposing team's 40. Nothing Crazy pisses David behavior. off more than that. Nothing pisses David off more. Crazy behavior completely lost them the game late. Yeah. I mean, if they had instead scored there, which is something you can reasonably expect to do, from the other team's 38 on fourth and four, convert there, then you're in scoring range, the game changes a little bit. Then suddenly, so if they even score a field goal there when they get four more yards and then get stopped again, it's 34-28. USC drives down and scores. Well, now it's a field goal to win the game, not a touchdown with 48 seconds to go. Yeah, It was just horrible coaching. You can't do that stuff. Uh, he needs to get that out of his system um, because you're not going to sustain long-term if you keep making mistakes like that. It's That's like, just bad. It's like something somebody told you when you were like 10 years old and you remember it forever, but it's not right. You know, like that's, uh, oh, you should punt in those situations. Like someone told coaches that back in the day, like, but then you figure it out later, like, no, that's not the right way to go. But you still remember it. Like, no, that's uh, that's what my mom told me when I was 10. Like, nope, but she was wrong. Well, um, and the thing is, it worked out like the ideal case scenario, which is they downed it at the 10. How often do you see that exact same thing? And the punter just blasted into the end zone anyway. Yeah. I mean, it's most of the time you might even only gain 18 yards of field position. Yeah. That's. That's nuts. Crazy. That is not worth turning the ball over. No. Uh, Fourth and four should be like a 40 to 50% conversion with any college offense at this point. What? If you're just using your playbook. Yeah. Uh, well, I ended up getting this one right. Picked USC. I mean, I picked Colorado. Dave picked USC. Got this one wrong. Um, we, uh, yeah, it's just one of those things where week by week, it's a Jekyll and Hyde thing where a team looks awful, awful, awful. Then they look really good. Like Colorado looked a lot better. They didn't look like the worst team. They were number 12 in our rankings last year. Now, I mean, last week, now they're tied for 11th, but they looked a lot better than that uh, in this game, especially considering USC's number three in the poll. So, uh, all right. So our other number 11 team, which we're going to say is that really the number 12 team we have California golden bears. And uh, they had a tough one. Had to play number two. <laughs> Utah Utes. This was I, I, so I, I I only briefly watched this one. I'm gonna I'm gonna 
just put my cards on the table there because this was a late one, right? Like, oh my god, yeah. and it was late opposite uh, Oregon Washington right. State, which I, was a significantly better game. Yeah, I had this um, on like a tablet. But even after a while, I was like, yeah, I don't really need to watch this anymore. Well, that's the thing is I had it on a second screen, and I'm like, I, I, I can't even pay attention to this because it's so bad. <laughs> and every time I, I then afterwards was looking at like the, the updates on ESPN, it was always like Cal starting a drive from their five or something. <laughs> and it was just like, oh, my God, no. Um, this, this is sad. So Utah won 35 nothing, and I don't even think that really tells you the story. Um, at one point, Utah had like 421 total yards, and Cal had 42. Yeah, ten times. They tend them. They ten times them. <laughs> that is not cool. That's not. That's not kosher. No. I just thought Don't do of that something. to a team. When we see uh, something like this, you know, you have like running clocks in high school. I think we have to figure out. And you're, a, you're you you like uh, kind of stats like this. What would the down and distance have to be? Like, you know, you have first and 10, you have 10 yards to get a first down. If it was like, if a first down came after five yards, would Cal have won this game? Mm, nope. Really? <laughs> Isn't that crazy? Like, I've, I go like three and a half yards and it's like, okay, Cal could win then. But it, I don't know, like, yeah, like they had, what's it, 83 yards? Like the whole game? 83 total yards. The rushing offense was 21 carries for 23 yards, and the passing offense, somewhat better, was 22 attempts for 60 yards. So that rushing attack, if you had three and a half yards for a first down, still, if you ran it three times, you still wouldn't get a first down. So that's bad. No, it's just like, man, I, I mean, this is just, obviously Utah's great, and they're rounding into basically their October form of last year when they were just dominant. Um, so I don't want to take anything away from them, but like, Cal down Chase Garbers, it just becomes so apparent how severely limited this offense is. Um, now, Garbers, I think, was able to make it look okay to start the year. But, I mean, look, you should be able to have something competent happening, even if you're down to your backup quarterback. Um, the fact that they're not, how how much longer can Bo Baldwin be there doing this because they've been bad offensively for two straight years now it's crazy it's like you take a like a michelin star chef and you put him in a different restaurant and like the food sucks and you're like what the <laughs> it's like he's like at applebee's or something and he can't even make like the nachos right like i don't know and okay so the one thing that you learn from watching cal and this is i don't think anyone's gonna argue this Chase Garbers is the greatest quarterback in the history of the Pac-12 because there's no way <laughs> Cal can't go from 4-0 to this. Oh, there's one guy. It's Chase Garbers. So he must be the greatest quarterback that's ever lived. That's I, I think that's right. I, I think the <laughs> it all checks out. The math checks out. And look, I mean, we Cal is clearly until Garbers gets back, they're they're in deep deep trouble. Um, but Utah, I, I don't want to you know not talk about this because they're. They are having a – well, they just had. They're done with October now. Let's reflect on what they did in October, shall we? Okay. You ready? Yeah. Washington State, 38-13. Oregon State on the road, 52-7. <laughs> Arizona State, 21-3. And now Cal, 35-0. Yeah. They gave up 23 total points in four games in the month of October. Wow. That's insane. And one of those was against – I mean – Look, ASU, they've had some issues. Three points, though, that's pretty impressive. Yeah. Um, 
seven points to that Oregon State offense is actually really impressive, and 13 points to Washington State. You saw what they did to, to Oregon on the road. Right, like, which we'll talk about in a second. Like, this is this is dominant play, and I think it's getting lost because Oregon is still, you know, probably has more of a national um, uh, exposure right now because they, you know, had the big opener against Auburn and everything. But if you're talking about the team playing the best football in the Pac-12 right now, I think it's Utah. It's got to be Utah. Um, first shutout in Pac-12 play, uh, their first time in, in 20 years, and it was – it was a dominating performance. I mean, uh, it, they look legit. That loss to USC is makes you scratch your head even more. Um, but the way Utah's playing right now, and the they're playing as good as anybody, and they do not control their own destiny in the Pac-12 because they lost yep. to USC. It's crazy. Um, it's it, man, Cal, I feel bad for Cal. They are so bad. Uh, they get a bye week to try to fix some things, but man, I, I just don't, I don't know where you go from here, Dave. It's, uh, it's just such a bad offense and I I don't know. I mean, yeah. it, it makes me feel so much better about my take last year that Chase Garber should have been starting the whole time. Like he's, <laughs> he was better than anyone they had then. He's certainly better than anyone they had now. Um, oof, but rough oof, stuff. There. Oof indeed. Rough stuff. Okay, uh, so this next one, oh, this was kind of interesting. So this is our our number ten team, Arizona Wildcats, and they were taking on who is now, and I don't know if you're going to believe this, our number five team, Stanford Cardinal. What? <laughs> Stanford is up at number five in the latest poll. Oh my gosh. What a weird league. What a weird league. Stanford um, lost uh, 51-27 to Washington, 41. I mean, I'm, no, I'm sorry. That was, uh, I'm sorry. That was Arizona. Uh, I mean, yeah, Stanford has some really bad losses on their uh, slate there, um, including 34-16 last week to UCLA. And they are all the way up to number five now. Yeah. It's a, crazy. That's weird. Yep. Uh, Stanford, uh, beat Arizona 41, 31 at home. Um, big story from this one was KJ Costello coming back for Stanford and immediately that offense looked, um, a million times more competent than it did the previous week against UCLA. Um, having an actual, you know, guy who can complete throws at quarterback is a big deal. It's good to have. Um, he was good. I thought really sharp despite the thumb thing. I mean, he had a couple of inaccurate throws early, but for the most part, he was great. Um, Cameron Scarlett, I thought, ran some very tough yards um, and looked a lot better than he did the previous week. Uh, But just generally, this offense looked a ton better, and that's probably part of why Marcel Yates got fired afterwards um, because the Stanford offense hasn't been great this year. Um, And Stanford's defense, um, Paul Sanadibo had a great game, and he got Pac-12 Player of the Week for a reason. He had a great pick in the end zone uh, where he just made a great read on the on the ball um, and took it away from an Arizona receiver. Um, and on Arizona's end, they came in. So I didn't know watching it live. I think it must have been a design to bring in uh, Gunnell and Tate, like have them both play yeah. throughout the game. Yes, um, yeah. they, were, they were. They brought them in for a couple series in each half. And uh, yeah. yeah. And Gunnell was a much more effective thrower than Tate in this one. Um, seven attempts for 68 yards, almost 10 yards per completion. But Tate wasn't eh, Tate wasn't his worst. Um, I'll say that. Um, and he ran the ball effectively. Um, he had a long touchdown in this one. 
but he wasn't super sharp. He had a couple of picks, um, didn't complete at a high percentage. I, I, I still don't know if they if they should really continue with the Tate experiment or just go with the future, um, which is going to be Gunnell at this point, um, because it it does look bad sometimes. Like he does throw, he doesn't complete the right balls. Like he's not, he's just not like running that offense the way it should be run. Having watched a lot of Noel Mazzoni over the years. And now you could make the argument Mazzoni should have done a much better job of fitting things to Tate. Um, like why there aren't more quarterback draws and designed quarterback runs in this scheme when you have Khalil Tate, whether it's Tate not wanting to do it or Mazzoni not wanting to call it, whatever it is, there's something wrong when your quarterback's best asset isn't being used that much. Um, so I don't know. I mean, but at this point, you might as well play Gunnell, who's a much better fit for what clearly Mazzoni wants to do. Yeah. Um, so anyway, this was um, – it was a pretty good game, actually. It only got a little bit away from Arizona late, but it was tied 31-31 um, into the third quarter, um, and it was kind of back and forth. It looked like it could have gone either way. We were both watching this one very closely because we picked it opposite, um, and so naturally it went went, went away from me. But um, – yeah, I mean, I thought it was a really good game, and Stanford obviously is a different team with either Costello or Mills uh, taking snaps. Yeah, I picked the Stanford this one. You picked Arizona. It was basically a pick and It was a one-point spread. I forgot to mention, we both got the Utah game right. That's the one we both like. Yeah, Utah's covering. It was like 19 and a half. Like, like, we basically said Cal's probably not going to score. The Utah defense might score points, so we got that one right, too. Um, yeah, 12 different Stanford players caught passes. I mean, how different could Stanford look um, you know, from the, the loss to, you know, they get this high of beating Washington, then the low of losing to UCLA, who looks like a feisty team. Maybe it's not as bad of a loss now. And then the, you know, beating Arizona and uh, getting that big win. So I think that was, and it's a big deal. Um, you know, they beat Oregon state, they beat Washington. Uh, you know, they're, they got a even record in conference. Um, but with KJ Costello, they do seem to be, you know, a different kind of team. Uh, the two quarterback system I thought was a little weird for Arizona kind of doing that. But I, I think when Gunnell came in early, he had a, I think he had a touchdown drive first or he had a field goal drive and like a touchdown drive. When I saw Tate come back in, I think he was motivated. He, that's what I think that it was the first or second drive after he came back in, in the first half is when he had that broke off that long touchdown run. So this was a pretty good one uh, kind of going back and forth. Just some weird stuff, though. You know, David Shaw kind of makes you scratch your head sometimes. Stanford, remember they had, they were third and goal from like six inches out, uh, yeah. like, and and they went to the shotgun and like handed the ball off to Scarlett or something, lost like three yards. It was like it was very un-Stanford. Like like that's when you expect everybody on the line of scrimmage, six tight ends in there, and just like freaking power. And like they didn't do that. It was really weird. And and. They don't do the spread like as effectively as other teams that do it all the time. Like you are a under center team for these kind of situations, so get there. Uh, but they also did a lot with kind of like what Colorado did. They were like milking the seven point lead in the fourth quarter, and then they were passing the football a lot more, and then you know throwing it in, and not like high percentage passes like underneath stuff. You're letting the guy run. It was like down the field, like you got to hit the you know hit it right and. So I felt like they were sort of letting Arizona back into it a little bit late in the game. So just some weird, another, I don't know if there was any of the punts from the, you know, inside the opponent's 40, but they, just the the fourth quarter clock management stuff with a lead. I thought they had some failures just like Colorado did. 
I just assume that David Shaw punts from within the 40 at least <laughs> once or twice a game. Like, I just take that as a given at this point. Gotcha. I don't think they did. Um, but who knows, you know? Okay, there was at least – okay, let me look. There was a punt from the Arizona 45. Okay. Towards the, but that was end of game situation up by 10, which is almost forgivable. Um, let's see. Was there any other weird punts? No, he was pretty clean in this one. He was not one of the culprits. Okay. Oh, nice. All right. Um, so, yeah. Uh, nice win there for Stanford. We'll see. Uh, there, we got to way up at number five. Just because there's really – you got to put somebody up there, and we just don't know. So, a team like Stanford is now up there. Um, yeah. So, we'll see. All right. Our, uh, our number nine team is – Oregon State Beavers. And uh, they had a bye. So yep. I don't remember where they were last week. They might have moved up a little bit. Um, I thought they were eight last week, so I think they moved maybe down. Maybe they moved actually. down. Okay. Uh, then we have our number eight team. Arizona State Sun Devils. <laughs> and uh, they were taking on our tied for uh, number six team. UCLA Bruins. <laughs> yeah, so weird. Weird world, right? Just a strange, strange place. Um, so this one was UCLA 42-32, which is really kind of deceptive. Um, this was 42-10 um, after the third quarter. Um, and then ASU scored 22 unanswered in the fourth quarter. And semi-junk time, it's hard to fully call it junk time because UCLA was still playing its starters. But they were clearly calling a different game to just kind of close out the game. Like they took a weird delay of game penalty just to eat more clock. Um, so kind of junk timey, but I don't want to take too much away from the teams who were both playing starters, but it was 42, um, 10, (laughs) it was a 42, 10 game. Uh, UCLA was, was essentially, um, blowing them out in this one. And there were, you know, there were different points where it felt like maybe the game could have hinged on a couple of things. Um, there was an early third and 13 conversion for UCLA that had to be reviewed because initially they called it an incompletion, but then it on review, um, they ruled that the receiver toe tapped inside, which that's it was one weird. of those where you could have called it live that way, and that would have been fine, or you could have called it an incompletion. It was a weird one to overturn. Yes. Um, so there were a lot of ASU fans who um, had some consternation over that, as well as several other calls throughout the game, which, you know, <laughs> mostly were going UCLA's way. Um, so a lot of them. <laughs> there was definitely there was definitely a little bit of a luck factor, but I don't want that. I I, I, I want to bring it up because I don't want ASU fans to say, "Hey, you didn't bring that up, UCLA guy." But I would also say UCLA more or less did dominate this game and they did it in some really watching it. It was like a robust, like 2009 Stanford esque way of winning it. There were virtually no explosive plays for UCLA. What it was, was just grinding, grinding touchdown after grinding touchdown. They had two individual 16 play drives in the first half, which occupied a combined 15 minutes and 41 seconds. When you're doing that to a team, when you occupy an entire quarter of just two drives and you're just grinding them down, and it's on consecutive possessions for UCLA, sandwiched around a five-play, 22-minute and 25-second drive for ASU, the defense is toast. And you could see it after those two drives that suddenly things got a lot easier for UCLA. The the second one of those put them up 21-7, and then it was quickly to 42-10, sorry. 
um, because the defense just clearly got tired legs. You can't be on the field for 16 plays of just almost pure, just brutal running um, constantly. Um, UCLA ended up running the ball 57 times in this game. Joshua Kelly had 34 carries. Um, And again, they weren't explosive plays. It was a lot of four-yard gains, six-yard gain, just kind of eating away at the legs of the defensive linemen throughout the game. And then by the end, it was just too tough to hold up. Um, But it was really interesting. Um, If you told me going into the Chip Kelly era that in his second year, he would have a team that's capable of grinding out 16-yard or 16-play touchdown drives, but they're not super explosive and they don't run at a fast tempo, I'd have been like, what are you even talking about right now? so it was a really nice game for Joshua Kelly, really nice game for UCLA across the board. I thought defensively, again, up until that fourth quarter, I thought it was one of the sharpest games for UCLA defensively. Um, they stopped the run pretty well. You know, Benjamin did not have a good day. Obviously, ASU has some limitations on the offensive line that are kind of giving them a lot of issues right now. Um, but Benjamin wasn't able to even do what he did against Utah. Um, and then Jaden Daniels, I thought, Bounced back from the Utah game for sure. A lot of his passing production came in that fourth quarter. So it's, again, his stat line is a little bit deceptive. Um, He was forced to run a lot um, in kind of scramble situations where UCLA was able to flush him, which is not in an ideal world how ASU would be running its offense. It wants to be able to use him as a passer more than a, you know, a 13 carry guy. Um, But that was kind of what the needs of the the game dictated. But it was a pretty thorough win for UCLA. Again, there were probably some factors that made it even more thorough than it would have been, but it was it's up there with USC as the best game of the Chip Kelly era so far. Yeah. Uh I think you could tell early on, you know, Benjamin fumbles that very first drive. And you're like, oh, I bet you I know which way this one's gonna go. We both got this one wrong. We both took uh ASU. Uh thought they'd cover the four points for UCLA. We were wrong. Uh UCLA dominated this game. Um Arizona State, remember, they had a third in inches. They just plowed ahead under center with the big guys, like a 300-pounder pushing the back. I'm like, that's what I wanted to see Stanford do. So it was kind of neat to see that early on. But that that was kind of like the highlight at the, the you know for the first half for Arizona State. In the first quarter alone, Joshua Kelly, he had 12 carries in the first quarter, 63 yards, two touchdowns. I mean, to get 12 carries in one quarter, you were just dominating things, and, and UCLA did that. They were running – UCLA was running all over Arizona State. That one long touchdown drive where the, the toe tap that shouldn't have been a conversion, it you know, ended up leading to a touchdown. But they converted like two, three and long – third and longs, a third and something else, and then like a fourth and short on that drive. And just – you know, that's just grinding, like you said. You grind that out, grind that out. It's demoralizing for a defense. And I think UCLA did a really good job of doing whatever they could to demoralize – Arizona State's defense early, and they just never recovered. Um, you know, there was like a third and forever. Uh, I, I think it was on that drive, and Arizona State got called for rush, r- roughing the passer. Tons of mistakes for the Sun Devils. They just kept making errors. Now, yeah, like the, the refs were not in uh, in Herm Edwards' favor for whatever reason. It was a lot of calls going against the Sun Devils, but they were still getting dominated. Uh, and there was a lot of, you know, self-inflicted wounds, a lot of mistakes I mean, you know, Benjamin got stopped on second and one and threw the ball like at the ref's face. Like, what the? So, so you took second and one gets turned into, you know, second and 16. Um, it, stuff like that. I think they just kept happening and you can't, you can't do that. I'll give a little shout out to Jack Jones. Uh, he's been pre- playing pretty well. I know he was recovering from like hand and ankle surgery, but he's leading the nation in pass breakups 
Um, or, you know, and uh, he's ninth nationally with uh, 11 passes defended. So pretty cool for Jack Jones. Yeah, very cool. Uh, but yeah, it's interesting. You know, that's uh, UCLA just freaking dominated this game. So didn't see that. Um, but yeah, the nice, uh, nice little run for the Bruins now, winning uh, two in a row. Zero and twelve is not in play, David. And, and my someone told me this on our our live show last night. Does UCLA control its own destiny? Also, well, if you listen to Chip Kelly, you can't possibly control your own destiny because it's a predetermined set of events. Um, so you're you're not in control of what's going to happen um, ever. However. Um, in the reality of the parlance of our times, yes, UCLA controls its own destiny. The parlance of our times. Oh, yeah, because they two lost. If they two, beat USC and, UC, and Utah, they have the tiebreaker over um, both ASU. Yes. And they, they would have a tiebreaker over USC because they would both and have I two think, losses. Yeah. And Arizona self-eliminated if UCLA wins out. Yeah. Okay. So they wouldn't have the tiebreaker over Arizona, but Arizona has uh, – they're they're two and three now. So it's interesting. So, so if UCLA if UCLA wins out, they win the South. Yeah. So two weeks ago, I think four teams in the South control their own destiny. Then last week it was only Oregon and USC. Now UCLA also does. I don't. Uh, I'd have to look and see if anyone else does, but UCLA does too. So interesting. Uh, so USC and UCLA in the South, I think, are the only two in the South who still control their own destiny. Okay. Which. Just like we drew it up a few weeks ago, right? That's what the we thought. The two LA schools just duking it out for the Pac-12 South. Yeah. Watch. It's just going to be Utah. It's, <laughs> it's, it's, in a just world, it would be Utah. Right. But if it's a Pac-12, it might not be Utah. Yeah. Okay. So, okay. This is going to be interesting. Um, I'm going to do this a little bit differently. So, this was like the game of the weekend. Uh, it was uh, our number one team is uh, still there. Oregon Ducks. Now. It's our number seven team is who they were hosting. And this is an email we got from Phil. He said, new Cougar intro. Uh, Hey, what's up, guys? Long time, first time. I heard on the latest podcast that a dog made the intro music beds for the show and thought you could use an update for the Cougs. Love the show and can't wait for the rest of the season. He sent me two attachments, an MP3 MP3 and a WAV file. Uh, Thank you, Phil, for doing this. So I'm going to play both of them for you. And this worked out well because it's the last game. This is what we normally play when uh, Washington State, we talk about Washington State. Washington State Cougars. And this is what Phil sent us just now. Washington State Cougars. What do you think? I, I mean, I, I'm a traditionalist. You know me. Um, I would take the, the, the kitty cat because um, I'm used to it. Yeah. But the, the, the other one is probably a little bit more feisty. Yeah. Um, so I can understand Cougar fans wanting that one. So, look, you let us know, people. You let us know what you want, and we're happy to use it. We don't want to denigrate anybody specifically on this podcast, um, except for UCLA and USC, which we do constantly yeah. on the regular. Um, <laughs> so if, if everyone prefers the um, more fiery uh, cat sound. Let's go with it. Yeah, let's do it. Um, yeah. So let us know. Tell us what you think. Now, I I think I could send him the original file and have him because it sounds a little. Let me play it again. Washington State Cougars. It sounds a little like you know when you had cassette tapes, like a tape of a tape kind of thing. 
Uh, yeah. I could send him the original one and, and add the uh, the row, row, row part in there, the, the growling. Um, I kind of like the growling, though. Yeah, I do, too. Uh, I have them both in the board right now. There was an empty spot next to it, so I can kind of use them both. Like, if Washington State plays well, maybe they get the growl. If they play poorly, maybe they get the, the meow. I don't know. But we'll, uh, we want to hear from everybody. Uh, let us know what you think. Cool. Yeah. Well, this was a good All game. Right. This was a good game. Uh, Oregon won 37-35. Wilner tweeted afterwards that he thought it might be the game of the year for the Pac-12, but another contender is the UCLA-Washington State game, which was another wild and crazy one. This was not quite as wild and crazy, but it was probably a more you know top-to-bottom, well-played game. Um, this was 17-17 at the half, and it actually featured a lot of missed opportunities for Washington State. Um, they could have, there, there was a, a easy scenario where they could have been in a much better situation at halftime. Um, they got a field goal out of a drive, their first points, um, out of a drive where they had first and goal at the Oregon three. Um, they got an interception on a drive where they went from the Washington State 29 to the Oregon 15. They had a second and 10 at Oregon 15. Anthony Gordon throws a pick. Um, and then they had an interception, uh, for a touchdown where Gordon was just probably trying to do way too much on third and 25 from his own five, um, and got picked for the TD. Um, and you know, if a couple of those things go a little bit of a different way, um, even if they don't throw that second interception, it's probably a 2017 game at worst at halftime and potentially more than that. So, um, Oregon was a little bit lucky to get out of that first half, um, in a tie game, um, and then in the second half, I thought their quality started to show a little bit more. Their ability to run the ball especially started to show quite a bit more. C.J. Verdell was phenomenal in this game. Two guys that I've spent time denigrating on this show, on this very podcast the last couple of weeks, really showed up. C.J. Verdell showed off actually some excellent vision, which is not something he has shown in the past. Um and uh, and my guy Montez, who had three touchdowns. But C.J. Verdell, 23 carries for 257 yards and three touchdowns. And that's not all. Also four catches for 56 yards. He was do everything. Um, and it bumped up his stat line where he now looks like one of the best pack, uh, best running backs in the Pac-12. And frankly, if he keeps this up, he will be. Um, if he can maintain that level of vision. And I also thought his balance looked better. Like he just looked fundamentally... Like, he'd made real strides in the last week, basically. Um, they didn't start him, I think. I think they, like, uh, yeah. They, well, I, that's, Cyrus Habibilikio had been getting a lot more snaps of late, yeah. seemingly. Um, but Verdell, I don't know, maybe took 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 that on his shoulders a little bit and responded with his by far best game. Um, on the other side of that, Washington State was pretty good, despite Anthony Gordon not being... Um, Super sharp. I mean, throwing a couple of picks is a rarity for him so far this year. Um, but they were able to move the ball against a defense that has really basically shut down more or less every offense they've gone against. Um, but they were able to move it pretty well. Um, you know, 50 attempts for 406 yards is pretty good for the air raid. Um, that's a little over an eight yard average. Uh, but again, you got the couple of picks that you have to work in there. Um, if Gordon had been his usual sharpness, and that probably is a credit to Oregon's defense that they were able to get a couple of picks against them, um, it would have been a different story. Um, but what, what this game kind of looked like to me was Oregon didn't play its best game. Uh, I don't think they were at their you know peak defensively, and they were still able to win a tough one at home, yeah. um, which is a really good sign. I do need to bring it up, though, that Mario Cristobal is another guy who did the dumb thing this week. 
he did maybe the dumbest of the dumb things. Um, <laughs> up 34-28 with three minutes and six seconds to go on a fourth and six at the Washington State 33. He punted. Oh. On the 33 on a fourth and six, that's never a punt. That's try a long field goal with your kicker as Mr. PAT. That's fine. Whatever. Or go for it with your star stud quarterback, even your crazy run game. CJ Verdell was averaging almost 12 yards a carry. It's only six. Give it a shot. Whatever you want to do, don't punt. If Washington State starts on the 33, there is almost no fundamental difference between that and Washington State starting on the 10. And as we said, how many times on that in that situation do you see the kicker just kick it into the end zone? And if that happened, you'd be gaining 13 yards of field position for turning the ball over. So dumb. So what does Washington State do? They actually drive down the field in two minutes and six seconds to score a go-ahead touchdown with a minute left in the game, which could not have been more predictable. Um, so dumb. Don't do that. That's bad, bad, bad game management. Um, and then Oregon responded, drove down the field um, for, for a game-winning field goal, which was, again, also something that felt kind of stupid in the moment. Um, Oregon had a first and goal at the Washington State 9 with 14 seconds to go. Um, they call timeout. And they have still one left to go to set up the field goal. You have 14 seconds from that point. Um, what do they do? They center the ball and then run it down to two seconds for the kicker, who, again, has been very shaky this year. He's missed two field goals from inside the 30 this year. Um, they, they set it up for a game-winning field goal. I don't know. Take a couple of shots from the nine. You have 14 seconds to go. Well, it's not like they have a good quarterback, right? Like, Well, it's just it, – all this stuff is so baffling, and it's it, – it, you know, you can make an argument that Auburn was lost because of end-of-game management. This is another one that very easily could have been lost on at two different levels from bad end-of-game management. Yeah, He needs to clean that up, or he needs to hire somebody who's going to be the voice in his ear telling him, no, in this situation, here's what you do. In this situation, here's what you do. Because this stuff can't keep happening. If they're, if they're going to be as talented as they are, if they're going to be a standard bearer for the Pac-12, you can't continuously screw up end-of-game stuff. Yeah. And it worked out this time, but these were not the percentage plays. These were not what you should be doing in those situations. No. Uh, Troy Dye being out for the or great Oregon linebacker, uh, I think that hurt this defense a lot. If you just watched the game and didn't like look at numbers, you would have probably said Washington State won. You know? um, there was just some kind of you know untimely mistakes uh some bad breaks uh i i think washington state outplayed oregon uh in this game that that first interception you're talking about it was a washington state touchdown pass like he hit gordon hit this wide receiver in the hands and it bounces out and oregon intercepts the ball and it was just like a kind of a crazy turn of events the other one was more of a coaching decision where it was you know late in the second quarter uh Oregon, I mean, uh, Washington State's backed up. And I think the, I, who was it, Levy? I forget who the announcer was, but he said something like, I want to take a shot here. And the other guys are like, don't do that. That's terrible. And as soon as they do it, they take a shot downfield or in the middle of the field and it's returned for a pick six. So it that was a double whammy because that long 89-yard C.J. Verdell touchdown run, you mentioned the missed PAT. So that's always like, that's trouble. Um you miss a PAT, like you're probably not covering the spread. I kind of knew that at that point. So David got this one right. I got this one wrong. He picked uh, Washington State. I had Oregon. Um, and Washington State had won four in a row, I think, against Oregon. So that you got to take that into factor too. But that pick six, not only 
you know, gave Oregon some momentum, but also allowed them to go for two. And then they have tie, like uh, going up by seven, I think at the time. And it's sort of like, okay, now what's going on here? But Washington State's credit, I think they they rallied before halftime and scored a touchdown, but they were moving the ball really, really well. Max Borgie is an absolute beast. He got banged up for a little bit, and I was really worried for Washington State at that point, but he came back in the game uh, absolutely crazy. Justin Herbert had, during the meaningful part of the first half, he had seven throws. I mean, they were really running the ball. I think there was he threw a few more times in the last 43 seconds after uh, – Washington State kicked it off after Washington State scored. But through the meat of the first half, Justin Herbert had seven throws, which is kind of insane, you know. Um, they had that long, like, five-minute review for that. There was a P.I., step out of bounds, on sportsmanlike conduct on Cristobal. Like, so basically, the Washington State receiver, like, stepped out of bounds, caught the ball, or, or yeah, was trying to make the catch, got interfered with, and Cristobal went crazy on the officials because he said they stepped out of bounds. So he gets an unsportsmanlike conduct penalty. Well, they take a review that takes forever, and they're making fun of the Pac-12 refs like crazy. But they end up getting it right, where they're saying he stepped out of the player stepped out of bounds, so that you know negates the pass interference. But it doesn't negate the unsportsmanlike conduct penalty on Cristobal because he was complaining about the terrible call. To begin with, so it was just that was about as crazy Pac-12 ref as you get. I don't know if you remember that series, Dave, but that was oh nuts. yeah, totally nuts, totally nuts. Yeah, yeah, the Pac-12 was in fine form this weekend. Yeah, but I, I mean, do you agree? I think Washington State played better. There was just a few critical mistakes. There was some weird stuff going on, but to go on the road and play definitely like in that, the first half, definitely in the first half, I thought they should have been up by more. Um, yeah, at the end of the first half, I thought in the second half it was more even. Um, I mean, Oregon did go. Touchdown, touchdown, field goal, punt, um, end of game. So, I mean, they did do better in the second half, um, enough to obviously win it uh, with that end of game field goal. Um, so, but yeah. This was, I but, mean, look at Washington State. Like, they are one and four in the conference, and they just took Oregon to the brink. Mike Leach said it was the best performance of the season despite the loss, and I, you know. That you know they look good. Um, they, they they've got they've got some bad beats this year. Yeah, <laughs> they they have three games that could have swung the other way easily in conference. Like they could be four and one right now in conference. Yeah. Um, and in control of the Pac-12 North. Um, but instead they're <laughs> four and four. I mean, if you look back at it, UCLA just an absolute complete fluke of a game. ASU, uh, they had to ASU had to have a true freshman lead to come back in the final drive, and then Oregon had to have a comeback on the final drive to win it. Um, the only game where they've really just been dominated was uh, Utah, and Utah, like we said, is looking like the best team in the Pac-12 right now. Yeah, uh, Washington State was down at I think number ten at one point, and uh, now we have them uh, tied at number six, even despite the loss. So they just look like a team you don't want to play. But they're not winning games, you know. They're not. They're not. Yeah, they're one and four in conference. Like I can't believe that. Like how you look at this team? How can they be one and four? But they are. Yeah. Nuts. All right. Um. So everybody else we've talked about except for our number four team, Washington Huskies. <laughs> they were on a bye. So five was Stanford. Uh, three was USC. Two Utah, and one Oregon. Cool. Nice. All right. Well, why don't we uh, take a quick break and we'll come right back and uh, we'll discuss. There's only four games in uh, week 10. We'll discuss those back in a minute. 
This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. All right, we're back here on the podcast of champions. What would you do in your break? Did you go take a leak or anything, Dave? Did I take a leak? <laughs> I, 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 I went number two. Oh, wow. Break. You can do that in a minute? That's amazing. Well, I'm quick. I mean, at this point, I've had, what, 33 years of practice? Yeah. Well, okay, let's not say that because, like, the first two years I had some help. But let's say <laughs> 30 to 31 years of practice. I mean, at this point, it's a pretty efficient machine, you know? Yeah. I go in, take care of business. Um, you know, my arms are long enough now. You know, there was a time when in early childhood where it's a little bit tough to get back there. But now, I'm in good shape for it. Nice. Well, I'm proud yeah. of you. I'm proud of you. Yeah. Um. <laughs> <laughs> what'd you do? What'd you do during your break? You uh, on vacation? I, did you go to the beach? I do, I do prep work. I'm prepping for the show all the time. I mean, I do what six, uh, seven hours of prep, and then I take. Well, that's that's usually what I'm doing when I'm going number two. <laughs> oh, it's, yeah. so it's yeah, multitasking. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right, let's uh, all Saturday games. So you don't have any weekday games this week, and like I said, there's uh, four teams on by. So ASU, um, Washington State. Cal and Stanford, I believe, are all on buys. But our first game, we have Utah Utes. And they're taking on a big one. Washington Huskies. Yeah. So there are only two channels in play this entire weekend. So keep that in mind, too. So oh. you don't have to you don't have to flip around too much to catch all the Pac-12 action. Nice. Uh, the first game, 1 p.m. on Big Fox, number nine, Utah traveling to Washington. Utah, three and a half point road favorites. That is pretty cool. Um, Utah is playing the best football in the league right now. Washington is nowhere near as bad as their record or lack of ranking would indicate. Um, they have a very tough loss to Oregon. A uh, toughish loss to Stanford and a toughish loss to Cal. None of these games were blowouts or anything like it. Um, you know, they still are Washington. They still have probably, I don't know, second, third most talent in the league. Something like that. Yeah. Somewhere in the top three, whatever order you want to put them in. Um, but Utah is playing some really great football right now. Three and a half is, gosh, I really wish it was like two and a half. Um, but it's three and a half. I'm still going to take Utah. Um, I just think they're playing at such a high level right now. Um, and I know it's a lot going on the road, um, to a, to a tough place to play. I mean, Husky stadium is among the toughest places to play in college football, let alone this league. Um, but, uh, Utah playing so well right now, running the ball so well, um, that I'm going to have to pick the Utes. I think they win this by a touchdown. All right. Um, I'm going to go with Washington in this one. And so my strategy last week for our, our buddy uh, Guy Haberman, you know, told me just ignore what happened the previous week. And I think that it worked. I mean, just, you can't, you know, if there's some up and down things that happen for Utah, it doesn't really do much. You, you, you blow out Cal 35, nothing. The last, you know, the three games before that were all blowouts as well. Only one of them on the road and it was Oregon state, but that was a, that's a big win. 
um, you know, to shut down that Oregon State offense. Um, but, you know, we've seen, you know, they lost to USC on the road. Uh, they, they haven't played a lot of road games. They played, you know, at BYU, at USC, and at Oregon State. Uh, they only have five road games this year. I think this is going to be tough. I think Washington coming off a bye. Um, three and a half is a lot. I kind of feel like Utah can win by a field goal. Uh, certainly they can win by a touchdown. They could they could blow them out. But I feel like that's a good value uh, on the road here for, for Washington at home coming off a bye. Um, so I'm going to take the uh, Huskies in this one in, in the three and a half. And uh, I don't think they're going to get the upset. But, you know, I feel like this can be a close game. We'll see. Yeah, I think it's going to be a lot of fun to watch at the very least. But the fact that you would rather it be two and a half makes you feel better because I think you could picture a, a Utah three-point win. <laughs> yeah, well, that's the thing is I, I don't – I would rule out the possibility of a Utah blowout of Washington. I just don't think Washington is they're, – they're not going to get blown out. I mean, that's just not something I think they're going to be doing um, in any game. Um, Chris Peterson is a good enough coach that they're going to avoid those sorts of results. They'll just lengthen the game, but – um, the most I can see them losing a game by is like 10, maybe 14. Um, but I could see that happening. I mean, Utah's playing at a really high level. Washington, you could make an argument they should have beaten Oregon, um, but they're still, they haven't reached a level even close to what Utah has done over the last four games at any point this year. Yeah. All right, let's move on. We have, uh, next up is Oregon State Beavers. And Arizona Wildcats. Wow. All right, this is on one th- uh, 1.30 on the Pac-12 Network, so if you get too much of that game, you can watch um, Unranked on Unranked, Oregon State traveling to the desert to take on Arizona. Uh, Arizona's a six-point home favorite. Um, tough one, really tough one to figure out. Um, Oregon State now on the season, it has three wins. Um, one of them's Cal Poly, doesn't really matter, but the other two, UCLA and Cal, both on the road. So they've been a pretty decent road team this year. They did get a bye this past week, so they should be, they, they shouldn't have any of those ill effects from going on the road in back to back weeks because they sandwiched it around being home for an entire weekend. Um, so I don't know. Arizona's not surging right now, but sometimes when you see them see a team, you know, fire a coordinator or something, they can suddenly, you know, step up their play, you know, do the whole nobody believes in us type deal. Um, I think Oregon State's offense is still going to be the best unit in this game, um, especially with Arizona's offense kind of going off the reservation recently. I just don't know about six points. Um, that feels more or less properly set to me. Um, I think Arizona wins the game. It could be a lot of fun, though. I could see these offenses going back and forth for a really long time because neither defense is – what are we looking at in the S&P Plus? Um, Arizona is 104th in defense, and Oregon State's 101st. So these are pretty even teams. I could see it being really back and forth. I'll say Oregon State narrowly covers the six um, and that you know it's a field goal-ish type game or a four-point game. Um, I'll probably take Arizona to win, though. Okay. Uh, I'm going to agree with you. I'm going to go with Oregon State here. So ignoring last week, so Arizona lost to Stanford in a close one. If I look back, they got smoked by USC. They got smoked by Washington. Um, They did get a win over Colorado. I feel like when I watched Arizona, they just weren't that good. Um, They played a little better against Stanford last week, but I can't ignore that. Last time I saw them, it was against USC. They look like poop. So I'm going to go with Oregon State. Uh, I think Oregon State wins this one. So 
I think they were to win it outright. So six points, I'll take the I'll take the beeves. Don't don't try to win the beaver fans over. They're already on my side. You know what? Screw it. I take the beavers to win too. Uh, you you no, you can't. We can't go back. You already said Arizona's going to win. Whatever. <laughs> uh, no, it's six points is a lot, and it just Arizona's not that good. Now, you know they could do the two quarterback system. It could work well. Oregon State's defense isn't that good, but just firing. You know, you got two defensive coaches that are gone. Um, is the defense going to get better within a week? I, I, I wouldn't think so. And this, like you said, Oregon state's offense is legit. So I don't know. We'll see. All right. Yeah. This next one is between two teams that control their own destinies in the PAC 12 divisions that they are in. First we have Oregon Ducks. They'll be on the road taking on USC Trojans. Yes, this is a 5 p.m. game on Fox. Number seven, Oregon traveling to USC. Oregon is a five and a half point road favorite. Uh, USC has been an entirely different team at home versus the road this year. I was just looking at this earlier today. At home, they have the win over Utah. Um, they blew out Arizona. They blew out Stanford. They played okay against Fresno. Um, and then on the road, it's the loss to BYU. Um, lost to Washington, lost to Notre Dame, but they've been much more dominant at home. Some of it's they've been, they've played worse teams at home, um, but Utah's not bad. They beat them 31, 30 to 23. Um, Oregon, on the other hand, is seven and one, so they haven't been bad really anywhere. Um, on the road, they've been a little shakier, though. I mean, Washington State was pretty shaky, but 21-6 over Stanford on the road isn't great. 35-31 in a game Washington probably could have, should have won. Um, and USC is not bad. I think we've got to just get our heads around that. Um, they're not great by any stretch of the imagination. Um, they're not probably where at all where they should be, but they're not bad. Um, and they still have a ton of talent. Um, I know Ryan is just not going to pick USC at any point. Yep. But I'll take them to cover the five and a half. Um, I think this could be a really close game. I think it could be a very tough game. Oregon's coming off a game that was probably unexpectedly tough against Washington State. Um, and uh, USC, I think, gives them a unique challenge. They have, you know, USC is still um, probably the most talented team in the league. Um, and they, Oregon has struggled. They struggled against Washington to an extent. They, they won the game, so, you know, but that was a tough game. Um, this one, another one on the road against a very talented team. I could see it being similar, you know, and they won that one by four. So yeah, give me a uh, Oregon to probably win, but USC to cover this. Okay. Uh, I'll, I'll take Oregon, um, in this one. Cause I don't usually pick USC. Uh, they've not been great at covering. They did cover two weeks in a row until this last weekend. Um, they're going to get, and, and I think people are going to be on, they're going to, um, be critical of USC cause they didn't play as well against Colorado they're going to get a lot of guys back. A lot of those injury, injured guys are going to be back for this game against Oregon. Um, so I, I feel like they're going to be a much healthier team. Uh, I think they're going to be fired up for this one. But I just feel like Oregon's going to – I mean, if it was more than seven points, I'd have to think about it. But under seven, I think I'm going to – I'll still take uh, the Ducks in this one. Um Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of people who feel like USC is going to come out and win this game, and they, they certainly could because they are – uh, as talented a team, but Oregon does have a bunch of guys that Oregon, that USC had recruited. And you can't say that about a lot of teams where like, Oh, there's a Mace Foon out there or a Penny Sewell or whatever, like guys that USC wanted badly and ended up at Oregon. 
That doesn't happen a lot. So Oregon's got got dudes. They've had their share of weird coaching things going on. Uh, but I feel like they're going to come into this one and uh, Oregon's going to play well. And I, I think they win by like seven or so. So I will take the Ducks. All right. Then we have one last one. This is a couple of uh, three and five teams. Uh, first we have Colorado Buffalo. Taking on UCLA Bruins. All right. This is on at 6 p.m. on the Pac-12 network. Um, Colorado traveling to Pasadena to take on UCLA. We'll see if this one still gets played. Actually, both UCLA and USC, depending on the air quality this weekend, uh, with all the fires raging throughout Southern California. Um, UCLA is favored by five and a half points. Wait, this is a scheduling nightmare. Why? What are you doing having a USC and UCLA home game at 5 and 6 p.m.? Driving around is going to be so bad. Oh, yeah. Just going to be terrible. Anyway, UCLA is favored by five and a half points. Um, I think analytic systems are going to be slow to catch up to the fact that UCLA suddenly has a defense. Um, And the reason they have a defense isn't because guys suddenly started playing better. They're playing different guys, and they're playing a much more aggressive scheme. Um, and so it's a, it's a fundamental difference in a way that, you know, odds makers and, um, you know, the analytic systems that they're built on, they, they, you just can't catch up to it easily. Um, UCLA is probably a much better team than Colorado right now. Um, as you can see in our power power rankings, um, but five and a half is way too few. Um, I think UCLA should win this one fairly comfortably because they'll be able to do, uh, much the same game plan they used against Stanford, even if it isn't a full schematic shift on defense, which I think it is, um, even if it is just a game plan thing, they should be able to use a much a very similar game plan against Colorado that they used against ASU and Stanford in that Montez is a guy that if you bring enough pressure against him, you can rattle him. Um, and I think the same way you can do that a little bit to a true freshman, Jaden Daniels, and a lot of it to a true freshman, Jack West, I think you can do the same thing to Steven Montez. Um, and UCLA's defense, you know, has just simply been playing better offensively. Um, Colorado's, uh, defense hasn't been good. UCLA should be able to move the ball pretty well. Dorian Thompson Robinson looked like he got dinged up at the end of the game, but he practiced today, so he should be fine. Um, so I like UCLA to win this one by a couple of touchdowns. Yeah. I'm going to agree with you on this one too. Uh, I felt if, if DTR was going to be out, I could, you know, maybe think about going, uh, with Colorado here, but if uh, if he practiced today, I think that's a good sign. So he'll uh, if he plays, I think great. What what do the analytics say? Like what's the what do they feel UCLA would win by? Like this, this is dead. Like this is exactly what the SB plus would predict. Okay. Um, so I'm basically building into my calculations on all this stuff that the line, whatever it is right now for all these upcoming games for UCLA, should probably be like three more points in UCLA's favor. Because they're just they're they're playing so much better over the last couple of weeks, yeah. um, because they fixed their defense. Yeah, uh, they've covered the spread uh, four out of the last five games, so I like the way UCLA is trending. I've not done a great job picking UCLA this year, but I feel pretty confident in this one. I feel like you know I wasn't on the ground floor when the stock started going up, but you're going to try to ride the wave a little bit now. Um, I forgot to mention last one, Oregon. We've been bad picking Oregon games. You've got two of the of the nine or whatever or eight right. I've only got one of them right of of the Oregon eight games. It's crazy. Like, uh, so we'll see wow. if we get you know one of us is going to be 
and even more hurting uh, after that. But yeah, I like I like UCLA in this one. Um, watching Colorado with a healthy LaVisca Chenault, I think he can do some things, but UCLA's defense is just playing so much better. Uh, like you said, I think they're going to do a better job. They're going to limit the run game a little more than what USC did and then put Montez in more positions where he's going to have to make some big throws. He's going to be able to make some of them, but he's going to make some mistakes too. So I feel there's going to be some turnovers that the, the Colorado didn't get, uh, USC didn't force in that game. And, uh, you know, the way Joshua Kelly is running the football, uh, yeah, I, I think the offense is going to move pretty well. So I'll take uh, – Colorado's kind of a little bit of a mess right now. Five and a half seems, just doesn't seem like enough points. For sure. Um, all right. Well, that's our uh, roundup and re- uh, recap and our preview. Uh, I guess we have to jump into questions now, Dave. Questions, yes. Um, so where did we leave off last so time? So I think uh, I got Mark. So I read a couple already, but the – because those were um, – you know, we had some stuff that you know incorporated into the show. Uh, this is Mark from Westwood. Seven home game seasons plus neutral site games. Says, hey, Ryan and Dave, uh, thinking about reasons why the Pac-12 puts itself at a disadvantage season after season and makes it difficult to get a team into the college football playoff. As much as I respect the nine-game conference schedule, it allows more opportunities for upsets to happen and for teams to get bumped out of playoff consideration. I agree 100%, Mark. Uh, I want to go beyond that and investigate other scheduling issues that could explain this disadvantage. After reviewing the schedules of some of the top dogs in other conferences like Alabama, LSU, Clemson, Ohio State, Wisconsin, I noticed that all of them, year after year, have seven home games per season and usually have a neutral site game tacked onto that. Therefore, there will be some seasons where they only have four true road games. The last time Alabama had a season with six away games was 2002. Not only that, usually those uh, these neutral site games are on locations close to that school's fan base, like Dallas, Houston, and Atlanta, for the SE school slash Clemson. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think the only schools in the Pac-12 to have this kind of schedule in recent years, seven home games plus neutral site, is Oregon this year, who had to travel to Dallas to play Auburn. Even in uh, recent neutral site games that the Pac-12 was involved in, they normally have to travel much further than the opponent, the, the opposing team does to play in them. So our example is Oregon versus Auburn this year, Washington versus Houston this year, Washington versus Auburn last year, and U dollar sign C versus Alabama in 2016, et cetera. My question is, do you think with the new stadium being built in Los Angeles and Las Vegas, that we will see more neutral site games that favor the PAC 12 in terms of location, leading to more of these favorable schedules for top teams in the PAC 12, where there are only four true road games in the season for fun, maybe name some of the matchups you'd like to see played in those stadiums. Thanks for taking the time to answer this question. And thanks for all you do uh, to help us pitiful fans of PAC 12 football get through the season. That's from Mark. Cool. Yeah, I do think there will be um, definitely some neutral site games. I think the the new stadium, especially in Vegas, I think is going to want to be an event location um, for those sorts of things. Wilner's talked about it a little bit. Um, I think it'd be great to have neutral site games there. The payouts are probably going to have to be big to get the SEC to SEC schools, especially to come out from the confines of you know their big neutral site games in Dallas and and Atlanta, seemingly every year. Um, but you know, I think if you make the right payout, if you tell them you're going to get X number of dollars to come out, I could see them doing it. It's still a neutral site game. You could probably, if you're a Florida, if you're an Alabama, you can imagine a bunch of your fans deciding to make a trip to Vegas, especially if it's on the schedule for at least, you know, 10 months ahead of time. 
Um, so I think it'd be a lot of fun for those schools. It would give them an opportunity to come out West with their whole team. You know, those big neutral site games, they're able to bring most of their squad. Um, so yeah, I think you would get for sure some, and, and that would lead to some more favorable schedules for the top teams in the PAC 12. You're still bumping into the, the issue with the PAC 12 where they're just first, there's not as much of a commitment to playing the FCS schools as is apparent in the SEC. Um, they are willing and able to play as many FCS schools as they can get their hands on. Um, and two, um, there's just not that many, you know, easy non-conference opponents to schedule generally. Um, so, you know, they, they can occasionally get into the seven home games thing, but it's a little bit more of a difficult proposition to do on the regular. Yeah, I agree with you. The, uh, the neutral site games and they should have them in Los Angeles and Las Vegas, hundred percent. I think that would be awesome because it's the first game of the season. You will get your fans to travel. The Alabama fans will travel there. They, whatever the Vegas, um, you know, the stadium would have to pay to get like an Alabama to come play there would be worth it because you would be bringing all those Bama fans. They would come out and they'll fill that place. Um, so yeah, I think that's a really good move. The biggest issue is the nine game schedule. In my opinion, if you're going to have a home and home on your schedule, it makes it very with a, you know, with a real team, it makes it very difficult to play a lot of home games. So the situation USC is in right now you have the nine games in Pac-12, and they play Notre Dame every year. So there's five road games and four home games. And then if they if that's the year USC has for the Pac-12, then they play Notre Dame at home if, or reverse. So they basically have five games on the at home, five games on the road every year, no matter what. Um, so if you do a home and home or a neutral site, well, now that's a sixth game. Uh, the reason Oregon can have... Uh, only four true road games is because they play Nevada and Montana at home. They also have five home games in the Pac-12, so it's a good year. Um, but that's it makes it very difficult with the uh, the Pac-12 schedule because every other year you're getting at least five road games just in your conference schedule. Exactly. So, th- so yeah, I think you need to go back to eight and uh, give some give these teams a little more freedom. But our, our man Andrew would tell you. If you go back to eight, you're going to end up reducing the strength of schedule for the Pac-12 don't care. and make it even more imbalanced against the SEC. I know. I know you don't care. You're like numbers schmumbers. It's not numbers schmumbers. It's perception. It's it's losses. Loss, those, yeah, the, the, but, that but L in, is the biggest number you need to look at. Like I don't care about I, a percentage. Like oh, It's going to go down by 0.5. Like, no, there's a loss. A newer L. school, but the thing is, analytic systems, which are becoming more and more um, part of the calculation for a lot of these playoff things, um, they will factor that in. And if, you know, if Oregon, instead of, you know, having nine conference games had eight and they had to play in addition to their, you know, decent non-conference schedule this year, also had to throw in a game against like whatever, Idaho. I don't know. Who, who did they even play this year? If they had to Nevada. play another garbage, yeah, yeah. If they had to play another garbage opponent. Um, it would knock them even more than they're already knocked, and then it makes it even more difficult to win that one loss argument with another one loss team. Um, and they're the kind of borderline team where you need to essentially help them by still having the nine conference games. Um, I don't think the Pac-12 is not winning a lot of one one loss 
arguments right no, but now. You, but, but you but got to get to zero but there's losses. A look, you get to go to zero losses and you do that by not having five road conference games. Like that's how you get to zero losses. That's what you need. Uh, don't, well, that wouldn't have helped Oregon this year. They would have still lost to Auburn. No, yeah, that's true. But I mean, it would have helped Utah. I don't know. Utah, Utah play lose to USC like in the third week of the season. That's a division opponent. They're going to be playing them right. no matter what all year. But like, would it be like why you know LSU and Alabama don't play week two or week three? Like that's dumb. So that's another thing. Like why do you need that to happen? So oh, because because your stupid team keeps trying to play Notre Dame all the time. <laughs> it's not, Maybe stop doing that so you don't disrupt. Yeah. Their why? Why? Schedule. Why? Uh, you know, you uh, USC and Stanford. Stop having a home and home non-conference rivalry every damn year, and then it'll help everyone else. Jesus. Boom. Yeah. Roasted. That's not ro- roasted. That's like, the, that's like the. It's such a Pac-12 mentality. Like, why go out and do something that other schools would love to do and do this amazing thing? What? Just be a wuss. No, no, no. Those... I already, I already ended this by saying boom roasted. Oh, like, okay. It, now it's that's just the a... the loser mentality the Pac-12 has. <laughs> the winner mentality is stop scheduling nine conference games and giving what? everyone and extra schedule losses. Southern Utah. Every I don't year? care. That's, that's crazy. Less of a lot. You you know what that loss? It's amazing how quickly uh, USC scheduling an FCS school has you turning tail and running. It's amazing. Oh, I, th- I think it's the worst decision ever. They shouldn't do it. <laughs> like I think they're they're incompetent at the well, highest. But level. that's also. But that's the reality. If you're going to play four non-conference games every year, one of them for most schools is going to have to be an FCS school. Yeah. Like it's just it's going to be hard to do it. And then they're only playing two, the, and they're, they're look. Picking and, the FCS and, honestly, there is a complete two-sided argument to it. And you're right. I think for a lot of people, it's still going to be the perception of your record that's going to dictate, you know, whether like if you're an eleven and one or a ten and two, but you had a really robust strength of schedule, it's not going to matter to some people when they're no. stacking you up against an undefeated team. That's true. But more and more, I do think analytics are playing a role in these decisions. So you do have to account for both. Um, and yeah. so it's not an easy question. I don't think it's an easy question to answer going eight or nine for the conference. Very, um, very easy. But <laughs> but it is something It's something that they should really do a lot of investigation. Yeah, it's the Pac-12. Like, it's you're already going to not be on this, a level playing field with other teams. Like, your, your best bet as a Pac-12 team is to be undefeated. That and the best way to be undefeated is to not have to play five conference road games every other year. Yeah. Uh, all right, you want to do this next one? It's Trevor. Yes. Let me pull it up. Um. Wow. Long emails today, guys. Yeah. Oregon Ducks questions. Hey guys, Trevor from Salt Lake City here again. I've been extremely impressed with Oregon's defense this year, and I'm sure you can agree they did seem to struggle against Washington a little bit, but played well enough to get the win. I wonder what your thoughts are regarding a couple of players on the team. I realize you may not have any insights, especially since neither of you cover the team. (laughs) Justin Herbert. Uh, Justin has been touted as one of the best quarterbacks in the NCAA this year and has been said to be a Heisman candidate as well as a possible first-round NFL draft pick. However, I have noticed he seems to be playing somewhat mediocre this season, though his stats may not reflect this. He has been fairly inaccurate, especially with wide-open receivers, which has led to many points left on the field, in my opinion. Curious if you have the same thoughts on him possibly being a tad overrated. Well... Yeah. I, I'm fine starting there before we get into the rest of it. Yeah, you want to start there? I, I mean, I think he's not like the fact that he only threw seven times against, uh, you know, Washington State in the first half. There, I mean, they're running the football. There, that's a team with offensive line, push people around, run the football mentality. I think he's still a really good quarterback, but it's not an offense that's like featuring him as a really good 
quarterback. So I don't know. Maybe it's some of it's him, but some of it's the offense. But he's not looking like um, you know this top quarterback that you're seeing at other schools, like because they're not asking him to be that. Yeah. Uh, so here's what I would say about Herbert from my um, vantage point watching him. Um, I think he's improved over last year when I thought all the hype was kind of ridiculous. Um, I think he's been a more consistent player this year. Last year, he got a ton of hype in the opening games, and then he was kind of just not great, I thought, over the final like eight, nine games of the year. Um, this year, I think he's been a much, much more consistent player. Um, and there are moments where he flashes that arm to be able to make some, you know, truly, you know, those NFL type throws. Um, I don't think he's a superstar. I, I kind of have the same feeling about him as I did about Jared Goff coming out of college, where it was like, he's getting all this hype as like a number one pick and I don't really see it. And obviously Goff had a great year last. I don't even know what he's doing this year. Um, so further proof that I'm always wrong. Um, but, uh, actually he's not been great this year. He has a he had proof a, that I'm always right. He had a good Further. game yesterday, but Cooper cup was back. So if cups in there, he seems to be good. If not, he's not as good. Okay. Well, all right, fine. Um, but I, I never thought of him as like a number one type pick. I don't really see Herbert as that type of guy either. I think he, he could start in the NFL for sure. Um, but I, I just haven't seen that level of consistency from him. Um, and he does seem to do a lot of stuff that's like, Dinkin and Duncan. He does make NFL type throws, but there's a lot of just work around the line of scrimmage, which I could argue both sides of this all day because that is becoming much more of the NFL type game. They are going to more kind of college offenses. Um, so maybe he's a fit there more than he would have been 10 years ago. Um, he's never been a guy who turns the ball over a ton. I mean, he, he this year he only has one interception, which is kind of a natural progression for him because his freshman year he only had four, sophomore year he only had five, and last year he only had eight. Um, and at a pretty good rate compared to his past attempts. So um, I, I think he's become a better player this year. I still wouldn't pick him as like the number one pick in the draft or really. A, I, I don't see him as a top 10 guy, um, but I know quarterbacks get overvalued in the league, so it'll probably happen. Um, but I don't see him as a number one pick in the draft. Yeah, fair. And then uh, Thomas Graham Jr. Graham is one of the most frustrating players defensively to me. He seems to be mistaken as being good because it seems like he is involved in a ton of passing plays defensively. But I've started noticing over the last season as well as this season that nearly every time a long pass is completed, especially resulting in a TD, it's Graham's guy who has burned him on a route and come up with the catch, often with multiple yards of space between them. Is he someone opposing teams are targeting because they see a weakness, or is he someone Oregon tends to play man coverage against opposing teams' best wide receivers? Not sure if you'll know anything about this dude. I watched a lot of Graham in high school. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I don't know enough about the individual players. I couldn't really – I haven't watched him yeah. as much. But, I mean, he's, well, the, he started since is, he was like a freshman. It's like his junior year, right? I mean, he's – thought he was doing okay, but I, I haven't watched him closely enough, you know? Yeah, I thought he made a bunch of plays his first year. Um, so I'd love to hear Hithloday's thoughts on this. Sure. Watching it just from my perspective, and, like, I'm not doing film work on Thomas Graham, so I don't – I don't know. But when I'm watching them, I'm more impressed by D'Amador Lenoir. Um, Lenoir. I always go Lenoir because I feel like it should be, but it's actually Lenoir. Um, I, I think he's been a little bit more consistent from what I've seen. Um, but I'd love to hear Hithliday's thoughts on this. Um, he does all the film work for Oregon. Um, so Hithliday, if you can, email in. Let us know what you think of the breakdown between Graham and Lenoir. Yeah. Thanks, Thanks Hithliday, for that 
in advance. And then, uh, <laughs> yeah, good deeds from Ithaca Day. And do it with some, like, you know, shots at us for being stupid. That's that's always good. Don't you remember, like, three years ago, you said that Thomas Graham was going to win the Heisman Trophy or whatever. Like, okay, thanks. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, Ithaca Day. Yeah. No, he wouldn't say that. He would just reference it without actually referencing oh, it. Oh, sure, and we yeah. We'd have to remember it ourselves. Uh, <laughs> and then he says, thanks so much for all your wisdom. Or if you have no idea, thanks for nothing. Um, ooh. And then he said, oh, this is an offer for me. Love it. Uh, well, actually, let's advertise for him. Uh, P.S. I heard David talking about having a beard and didn't know if Ryan has a beard. So, But ironically, I own a small beard care business. I'd love to send you a free bottle of beard oil. Let me know where to send it, brothers. Not looking for any advertising here. Just hooking you all up. Love the pod. Oh. Great stuff, Trevor. Hey, thanks, Trevor. And if you let us know the name of your business, I'm happy to. Well, happy to give you a shout out. Well, you have um, to. You have to try the beard product first, and then you can say if you yeah, like it or not. Yeah, I've never really done beard oil. I'm oh. more of just a. I'm just a. I'm a clean beard guy. Like I like to give it a shampoo and condition every night, but I don't do the oil. What does oil so. do? Like make I it, don't know. I'm interested to find out. Yeah. I might have to reach out to my man, Trevor. All right. Well, thank you, Trevor. Yeah, fine. I don't. I'm. I have stubble. I don't have a beard, but maybe I could do it for some some oil. I'll try it. I don't know. Uh, can you do? Can you do a beard? I think so. Yeah. It just right. it just gets itchy for me. So like I usually have to shave it after a while. Like I'll I'll go like a week and then it's like just kind of big stubble everywhere. So it's kind of beardy, but not like full grown beard. But then it just itches a lot. So I usually shave it. Yeah, it's more about laziness than. Yeah, yeah. For me, it was laziness. Well, like I started growing a beard when I was like fourteen, because you know how um, you know when you're a young teen, you get a little bit of the acne stuff. I got mine like right on my chin jawline, and so shaving was such a painful experience that that I was like, "Nah, I'm not doing this. I'm not doing this. No, screw this." And now, when it's no longer a problem, I'm still like, "Nah, I'm not doing that. Not doing that." Does it get? Like, is there like an itchy stage and then it like grows in and it's fine after that? Or well, I haven't I haven't grown it out in such a long time. Like it's just been there. Um, so I I never really had the itchy problem as much. Um, like I think my skin just takes to it pretty well. But I know a bunch of people have talked about it like itching like crazy. Okay. Um, and they can't handle it at all. So mine I've never really had the problem. Okay. Uh, this one is from Drew. It's a titled "Fair?" Question mark. Um, what will it take to have a truly fair system to decide who plays in a playoff and New Year's Six bowl games? I feel as long as we have people who are, quote, uh, of the, quote, old guard blue blood mindset, teams that have great single seasons will not only be left out of the playoffs, but also the New Year's Six. I go back to the season TCU and Baylor get, uh, I go back to the season TCU and Baylor get passed in the last week and miss out. I'm firmly of the mindset that if that jersey said Texas and Oklahoma, they wouldn't have been passed. You're probably right. Uh, Same applies to Washington State last season. Had they won the Apple Cup, which I firmly believe, had it not been played in a literal blizzard, they would have. They would have had zero chance to make the playoff, while if the jersey said USC under the same circumstances, they would have been a near lock. Uh, That said, they did lose and then were passed over in the New New Year's Six Bowl by three SEC teams and a four-loss Texas what should or can be done to allow the quote blue blood, I'm sorry, non quote blue blood programs to wear the slipper during Cinderella seasons and not be thrown to the wayside in favor of the blue bloods that are having just average years for them. That's from Drew. Interesting. Um, Well, 
we tried a different system a while back with the BCS, which was a fully computerized system, which was fair only in the sense that it wasn't like individuals deciding it real time. It was essentially a computer algorithm that was decided on ahead of time. Um, they muddled with it and messed around with it for a really long time to the point where it lost all meaning. But let's just, I'm going to quickly go through what the SP plus, SP plus Bill Connolly system would have had for the top four teams in each year um, that we've had the playoff. Shall we do this exercise? Sure. All right. In 2014, his four top four teams were Alabama, Florida State, Georgia, and Ohio State with Oregon number five. The actual playoff was Alabama, Florida State, not Georgia, but Oregon, the number five team, and Ohio State. So analytic system, more or less coming up with the same thing the voters came up with. Okay. Seems fair? Yeah. Okay. All right. In 2015, uh, the top four teams in the SP Plus were Ohio State, Alabama. Here's a crazy one. Ole Miss and Clemson. All right. Ole so Miss. this one. Yeah, Ole Miss. Um, so this is one where. Wait, did I have this? I think I had this right. Yeah, 2015 would line up with the 2015-2016 season. Okay. Um, so the actual playoff was Clemson number one. So that was like and like. Uh, Alabama number two. And then Michigan State and Oklahoma. So Oklahoma was number seven that year. And Michigan State was all the way down at number 20. In analytics. Right. And Michigan State in that playoff, if you remember, got blown out 38 nothing. Yeah. So they shouldn't have been in. Um, and Oklahoma lost 37-17. So they shouldn't have been in either. Um, so... Maybe a system that would have resulted in Ohio State being in there would have made a lot more sense. Who knows? All right, 2016. So this year, uh, it was Alabama, Clemson, Washington, Oklahoma. And what did it end up being? Alabama, Clemson, Washington, Ohio State. So no Oklahoma that year. It was Ohio State instead. And Ohio State was the number 10 team. And they got blown out 31 nothing. Should it have been Oklahoma in there? Probably. Maybe so. Hindsight. All right. Yeah. 2017. The top four teams in the S&P Plus, Alabama, Ohio State, Wisconsin, and Georgia. In the actual reality, it was Alabama, Clemson, Georgia, and Oklahoma. So instead of Ohio State or Wisconsin, you had Oklahoma, the number seven team, and Georgia, the number four team. Oh, yeah. And then Clemson, the number five team. So Clemson that year ended up losing 24 to 6 and Oklahoma ended up losing 54 to 48. So the outliers again losing first game. Now obviously the Georgia Oklahoma game was a lot of fun and it was like a 54 48 double OT nightmare. So um another year where the analytics maybe would have resulted in some better stuff and then this past year Alabama Georgia Clemson Oklahoma and the reality was Alabama, Clemson, Oklahoma, and Notre Dame. So instead of Georgia, it was Notre Dame. And what happened to Notre Dame? Murder. They got blown out 30 to 3. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So more often than not, when someone is getting in there who's not a favorite of the analytics, um, they're getting a little bit toasted um, in the in the first round of the playoffs. So I don't know. A system where it's entirely dictated by analytics, maybe that would be better. Maybe it would result in more competitive games. I don't know. Yeah. And then I think you could make your argument about the, the nine-game schedule thing more if it was run by analytics, which it's not run by analytics. So, Sure. Yeah. Yeah. 
But the right, SEC cool. seemed to do fine with their eight-game schedule. The Ole Miss to be in the top four that one year, that seems insane, but whatever. But, but here's the thing I'd say about his point about um, TCU and Baylor. In that year, uh, Baylor was the number eight team, and TCU was the number nine team in the SP+. Plus. So maybe the same result would have happened to them that year if they'd actually even gotten in. Gotcha. Okay. All right. This is from Hugh Janus. Um Hey, Ryan and – all right, maybe UCLA doesn't completely suck. Hey, Ryan and Dave, it's your buddy Hugh Janus back again this week with a few more fill-in-the-blank questions after attending the UCLA game on Saturday with my friends – I'm not going to read that one. And Dixie Rect, we came up with a few things for you guys on the ride home. We'd like your thoughts on the following. One, if UCLA can finish the season 5-7 and seven, or perhaps even 6-6, six and six, I would call their season – Successful. I would call it – a real curious case. <laughs> um, six and six, I think you get to the point where you have to call it successful. Um, that is a clear step up from the previous year. It would mean they actually closed out the year even better than they did last year when they closed it out pretty strong. Um, so six and six, definite success. Five and seven, at minimum, you treaded water um, from the previous year. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I think at this point, UCLA is trending towards one of those two results. Um, five and seven basically just requires beating Colorado and Cal, both of which should be games where UCLA is favored by, you know, between five and, and ten points. So, yeah, they're 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 trending towards, at minimum, a, a season where you say they, they are more or less the same, if not a little bit better than last year. All right. Fair. Two, in classic fashion, Washington State, blanked it against Oregon on Saturday night. Uh, they blew it. I don't know. Did they coog it? That's what he's wanting. Oh, you want coog it? Yeah. Yeah, they kind of coog it. Uh, three, blank will win the Pac-12 South. Uh, what does USC have left? Hang on. All right, so Oregon this weekend at ASU at Cal and UCLA. Yeah, Utah's winning it. I think Utah, yeah. Yeah. Um. Okay. The four teams I see making the CFP are blank, 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 and blank. Uh, I'm going to go Clemson, Ohio State, uh, LSU, Alabama. Yeah, that was going to be mine. Yeah. All right, five. Well, let's actually, but let's do this. Let's do this. What are the top four teams in the SP Plus right now? Ohio State, Alabama, LSU, and Oklahoma still. Oklahoma still? Oklahoma still. Huh. But Clemson right there at number five. So, pretty close. Um, all right. And then number five, uh, UCLA will have selected their new AD by date. I don't know if that's you. I know it's me, but I don't know. Um, I think maybe there will be an announcement before Dan Guerrero is out, maybe. So, let's say by April 1st. That will be a fitting date. <laughs> April 1st, 2020. Uh, <laughs> like six. I would put the chances of Urban Meyer being the next SUC coach at uh, this is you. 35%. All right. Uh, seven. I'll, I'll go 50. Okay. Um, seven. Blank is the best running back in the Pac-12. Oh, this is tough. Zach Moss. Yeah, for me, it's either Moss or, or actually UCLA's Joshua Kelly. You know, Benjamin's right there, too. Um, there are three really good backs in the Pac-12. Um, I'll go Kelly. What the hell? Nice. I'm going to go full homer this go show. Go homer. Full homer! CJ Verdell, no. Not yet. Um, but if he continues his, like, 
streak here where he's actually displaying some good vision and balance, um, he could have a really nice senior year next year. Um, I think it's a senior year. I don't want to misspeak. I think he's a junior. Um, eight, Dave's beard is? Glorious. Um, yeah. I mean, the long autumn of red beard is slowly turning over to the uh, the winter of, of white beard, but it's still, you know, it's still a good beard. Nice. Um, nine, the parody in the Pac-12 is a blank thing. Uh, bad thing. Um, an interesting thing. It makes things fun. A limiting thing. It's a fun thing. It's a fun thing. It's fun unless Uh, you really, you know, like you could have a fun job that you don't get paid at. Like, oh, it's a fun job, but you don't really get paid. It's kind of like us doing this. Right, but if you want to get paid, it's not a great thing. So right, if you factor everything around uh, money, um, right, then yeah, it's not great. Um, but if you enjoy things in life that don't have anything to do with money, then it's a fun thing. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Ten. Chip Kelly is often a dick to the media because Dave's avatar that made fun of Jim Mora. <laughs> um, I think he probably is bringing some history to the exchange a lot um he also has a a contrarian nature where he just wants to nitpick anything anybody says and sometimes it's funny i think a big thing when you're going to be a sarcastic dick if you want it to come off in a decent enough way smiling when you're doing it helps like after the game on saturday he was doing his usual thing, parsing the question and not really answering it. But he did it in a way where he was kind of smiling when he said it. And you come off a lot better when you do that. When you're stone-facing somebody and also and also parsing their question, uh, you just come off like a jerk. Um, so yeah, that's something – I mean, I can, I, 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 can, I can empathize because I do the same stuff. But, um, you know, there's, there's ways to come off as, as a little bit better than, than – than he has. Yeah. So he could work on that. Um, as always, we really appreciate your insights into all things Pac-12 and college football. Keep up the great work and go Bruins. Love your good friends, Hugh Janus and Dixie Rect. P.S. Mighty Bruins 37, Buffaloes 28, and FSC. All right. Thanks for that one, Hugh. Uh, Utah and USC winning out. This one's from Jay in New York. So he has two questions. First one, let's say both Utah and USC win out. Utah finishes at 11-1. and one. Uh, with their top 10 ranking, but doesn't go to the Pac-12 championship game, what bowl game would they go to? What's the non-playoff bowl this year? Uh, I don't know. So there's... Uh, Fiesta? Yeah, so Fiesta. There's a chance they could go to the Rose Bowl if Oregon became a playoff team. Um, They could play in the Rose Bowl. Yeah. Yeah. but yeah, it would be. I mean, a high whatever the yeah. They'd go to the big New. They, they would definitely be in a in a whatever a big New Year's Six. Bowl. Yeah, hundred percent. Um, with I, the thing is, I think if they go eleven and one, they need to make the title game. But their their playoff hopes aren't completely gone. Um, if they make the title game and beat Oregon, which wins out to that point as well, um, and they're twelve and one with a win over Oregon, and their analytics, just so you know, um, they're at number nine right now in the SP Plus, which is totally within striking distance if somebody else falls. Um, where's Oregon? Out, where's out, Oregon right now? Oregon's behind them. Oregon's at fourteen. Wow. Um, so if 
if LSU and Alabama, if they can beat up on each other, and then if one of them can blow the other out, and if that team in the blowout um, on the losing end of it can also lose just a trip-up game at some point, that eliminates the double SEC conundrum. Um, And then it's a question of, all right, one loss Oklahoma. Do they get in over one loss Utah? Um, Oklahoma's loss is to Kansas State. Um, Utah's is to USC. Um, I don't know. It could get interesting. Um, but they, they need a few more dominoes to fall. Oregon does too. Um, but they're not eliminated from the playoff either. I think they do need to win the South, so they need USC to drop a game somewhere um, and, and get to the title game and win that one and be 12-1 and with a really nice win over Oregon. Um, but if they do that, they're going to have a real shot. Yeah. All right. Uh, the number two, he says, I'm creating an extra pick for you guys since you have struggled with lines. <laughs> since US, the USC loss, Utah's given up 23 points total to Washington State, Oregon State, ASU, and Cal. Will Washington score more or less than 23 against Utah? Ooh. Jay in New York. I'm going to go. Ooh, that's a really good one. I'll take the over. All right. Hang on. I want to see what Utah, what opposing teams have done to Utah this year. BYU did not. Northern Illinois did not. Idaho State did not. USC did. Washington State did not. Oregon State did not. ASU did not. And Cal did not. And USC did by seven, not by a lot. So no, Washington State will. Washington will not score more than twenty-three. Wow. Okay. All right. Um, this is from our man Hifliday with a bad religion reference in the subject line. Showtime for dry climbs. Wow. Uh, um, yeah, I think that's a bad religion reference. I, yeah, it's the hills of Los Angeles are burning. Um, okay. Los Angeles is burning. Oh, okay. Yeah. Thanks, Hifliday. Uh, Arizona State is ranked the number 68 offense and the number 31 defense in SP+, which surprises you boys more. Hmm. Uh, I would probably go with the offense, maybe not the last two weeks, but they, you know, we like the way the offense was looking with Jane Daniels and, you know, Benjamin, but to, to only be 68, that's not as good as I would have thought. I'm kind of, I'm not really shocked by either given the state of things. Um, Arizona state's offensive line has been in flux since before the season even started, with Zach Robertson being out, um, and then uh, Cade Coat also being hurt to start the year, I believe. So they had a true freshman starting at center. They've now got a true freshman starting at left tackle and at right guard. Um, so the offense not quite clicking, um, and it not being due to the true freshman quarterback, really, um, is not too shocking. Um, the defense was a lot higher last week before UCLA did what they did to them. Um that one is probably a little bit more surprising for me because it's such a huge leap from last year. I want to say they were like in the 80s, maybe, in SP Plus the previous year, and then they were all the way up at 22 before the UCLA game. So that's probably the more shocking thing for me, um, but especially because they had to replace some guys up front. Like It wasn't like they were just turning over and had you know 11 returning starters. They had to replace some bodies, but they still were able to craft a pretty good defense. Um might have been a little bit of a, of a mirage. We'll see um, how they're able to close out the year. Um, they've had a couple of rough ones of late, UCLA and then Colorado a few weeks back. So we'll see how they close out the year. But that's probably the one. If I had to pick one that I was more surprised by, it would be the defense. All right. Um, and what's the story with USC's right guard? 
I think I've seen three different guys at the position over this season, including some rotation back and forth in the middle of games. Also, what's your opinion of the O-line performance and coaching compared to last year? And how do you think Mike Jinks, Mike Jinks is doing with the running backs and pass protection? So uh, Oregon is playing USC this weekend, if you can't tell. Right. Um, so Drew Richmond is the graduate transfer that came in from Tennessee playing right tackle. He's had some trouble in both altitude games, BYU and Colorado. So he ended up leaving the game in the second quarter. So Jalen McKenzie, who was this, probably going to be the starting right tackle, got moved to, to right guard. Uh, he's now He moved out to right tackle. And then they have Liam Jimmins, who came in. And he was actually a defensive lineman last year. But he ended up being like the next guy up in the rotation. Um, so he's in there now. It used to be Andrew Voorhees. Uh, he's been out all year. He's going to redshirt this year. He had, a, I think it was a foot injury or something. So yeah, they've it kind of been moving around a little bit. But for the most part, it's it's uh, Jalen McKenzie playing right guard and then Drew Richmond right tackle, but he left in the second quarter. And they've had a couple drives when everyone's healthy. They let Liam Jimmins come in and play uh, right guard. So that's kind of been the rotation. But I think the offensive line's played better this year uh, than the coaching they've had the last couple of years. It's helped out. And Mike Jenks, I think, is doing a nice job with the running backs, the pass protection seems to be fine. It's not, you know, it's not the best, uh, but you know, guys like Marquis step just look absolutely great when they come in, you know, uh, Keenan Kristen comes in and gets a couple long touchdown runs in his debut. I think all these guys have looked like they're ready to play and have done a pretty good job in a, in an offense that doesn't really have a lot of exotic run plays in it. There's only a handful of running plays and, and all of the backs have looked pretty good at times. So I, I think Jenks is doing a, a nice job. Cool. All right. Uh, I guess I'm up next. Hot seat again. This is from Joshua. Hey, Ryan and Dave. It's your loyal listener from Arkansas, Joshua. A couple weeks ago, I asked you guys a hot seat question. You agreed that no coaches other than Clay Helton were likely to get fired. Who knew we needed to look at the roster of defensive coordinators? Do you guys think any other coordinators get canned this year? I'm thinking Cal's offensive coordinator is probably beefing up his resume and putting his house on the market. Does Oregon State look for a new defensive coordinator? And congrats to Dave on the win. I think Chip Kelly is due for a four-year extension with the job he's done. See, Ryan, the joke is funny, even if it's not being made about Clay Helton. It's Thanks, one Joshua. of my favorite jokes. It's one of my favorite things. It is good. No, Chip Kelly should get one of those lifetime contracts, I think. <laughs> he should get Charlie Weist. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I think I do that after every Clay Helton game because um, – the funniest thing for me is um, when the opposing team's fans, or in this case, USC's fans, don't check, like, who they're responding to. And they respond to me with, like, all sincerity. Like, wait, no, he doesn't deserve another year for this. Here's why. And then I get into, like, a really, like, mock sincere conversation with them. It's one of the, my favorite things about Twitter. Um, just deep and abiding trolling. Um, yeah, I mean... Cal's OC, Bo Walton, we talked about that a little bit earlier. I could 100% see that happening. I don't think they would do it midseason because what's the point? Um, but I, I could see that happening. Um, who even is Oregon State's DC? Uh, let me pull it up. Hold on. I think they've actually improved year over year is the only thing. Like they went from historically bad last year to just very bad yeah, this year. Tim Tibisar. Uh, so they do a 3-4. It's his second season. Um, yeah, and they're they're quite a bit better than they were last year, and obviously it's hard to be worse. But they're let me see what they were last year. Hang on, 
S&P Plus. So last year they were 126 in the SP Plus, um, which there were only a couple teams worse than that, Georgia State, Bowling Green. Uh, this year they are 104th. So that's imp- – or 101st, sorry. That's improvement. And, uh, yeah, that's that's substantial improvement. They're about nine points better against an average team this year defensively than they were last year. Yeah. So that's real substantial improvement. It's just you've got a long way to go before it's actually good. But there have been times this year where they've been halfway decent. So Yeah. And, it, you know, midseason coordinator firings aren't super common. So having two of them already is kind of weird, I guess. Um, yeah, it's not the NFL. That usually doesn't happen at the college level. No. But thanks, Joshua, and thanks for the troll on David. That's good. Yeah, it's lovely. All right, we got a text message here. Okay. Uh, this is Kansas City Ute here. Please talk about Utah getting screwed in scheduling. Utah is going on a road trip to a team's home stadium where they are coming off of a bye week. I don't think other conferences are doing that. Uh, yeah, so they got to go play Washington, and Washington's coming off a bye. Uh, it's better than it was, but it's not. The SEC wouldn't let this happen, right? Yeah, Utah should be the one coming off a bye going into this right. game. That would be the ideal case scenario. Yeah, the, the same thing that they did for Oregon State this week, going on the road to Arizona. Yeah. The Pac-12 doesn't recognize like powers, so the SEC knows who the powers are, and they would never put them in a weird position scheduling-wise. It was worse a few years ago. A lot of the Friday road games, you know, short weeks, still traveling. They fixed a lot of that stuff. But these are ones you just want to look at. You're like, we know Utah's good. We know Washington's good. How do you know? Well, they w- they won their divisions last year. We're not going to put one division winner in the b- position of they got to go on the road after they played a game and have them play a team that's hosting them coming off a bye. So, yes, like that w- LSU wouldn't be able to do that. The- LSU wouldn't go to Tuscaloosa the week after you know they played like Auburn and then. Alabama had a buy. Like they, they wouldn't put up with that and the Pac 12 shouldn't either. But the Pac 12 doesn't look at that. They don't look at the powers and say, oh, that, that would really make sense. You know, it would be nice for Utah to have a not you don't want to put hurdles up on their way to try to make a playoff game or the same thing for Washington or Oregon or whoever. But that's what the Pac 12 does. Yep. Nice. Uh no, no problem with the have have nots thing, Dave. You don't want to fight for the little guy. Yeah. Not really. Yeah. Like, not, not, not right now. Like, not, no offense to Angie. No offense to Oregon State. If that happened to Oregon State, it's like, okay, whatever. Don't put your powers that have a chance to make the playoff in those spots is all I would say. Agreed. Yeah. Agreed. So, but the Pac-12 doesn't look at it that way. So, and that's part of the reason why the Pac-12 is in the mess that it is in right now. Yep. So we have one last one? We have two. Uh, one came in while we were talking. Okay. Uh, this is Brad in Portland. Uh, if a game is on the Pac-12 network, but no one on the East Coast has that network, does does it make a sound? Uh, hey, Ryan and David, I was having a conversation with fellow Ute fan about what was best for exposure. We both agreed that the time, 4 p.m. Eastern, and the network for the Washington game is great. Uh, the question we were debating, so he's talking about Utah playing uh, Washington. The question we are debating is that for a top 20 team, is it better to have a game start at 6 p.m. on the Pac-12 network so that the scores and highlights can be shown during other games and nightly recap shows uh, or to a game start at 10 p.m. or 10.30 p.m. on FS1 or ESPN that ends around 1 in the morning? I used Eastern time uh, for all for all the games to emphasize how the late games how late games are on the East Coast. We both agreed 
that for uh, recruiting any network at any time is better than the Pac-12 network. As always, thanks for your time and thoughts, Brad in Portland. I think you're dead on, Brad. Um, I, I, I So when I'm like judging the conversation on Twitter, look, there's a lot of East Coast football fanatics who stay up for the Pac-12 games. Um, and they're you know tweeting about it. And then that's stuff that the other East Coast people are reading in the morning. Um, nobody's watching Pac-12 games. It doesn't matter what time it's on. If it's on the Pac-12 network, just so few people get it that it's like not worth trying to figure out how to like find a weird stream or something. Cause usually more often than not, it's a bad game too. Um, you know, it's a game between unranked teams or one ranked team and an unranked team or whatever it is. Um, but that game on ESPN, if it gets weird, then you get the whole Pac-12 after dark branding and everything. But you don't see the same sort of coverage of the games that are on the Pac-12 network because too few people get it. It's much, much better to have the, the 10 p.m. East Coast kick on ESPN than the 6 p.m. Pac-12 kick. I, I, I agree with you 100%. Yeah, I agree too. Um, we talked about this two weeks ago when we had uh, ranked teams. Was it ASU and Utah that were on the Pac-12 network? And I think yeah. Dave, you agreed with me that they should have the Pac-12 should have skipped that and let I think it was ESPN that week, uh, you know, one of the ESPN networks show it, so more people would get exposure to it. Now the Pac-12 network wanted this great matchup and everything, but just not enough people can see it. So I think it's better for the conference if you allow a real network to show that game and more people can see it. Yeah, for sure. Um, all right, we got one more from uh, Frank in Sacramento. Pac-12 road struggles. Wow. Talk about, talk about uh, reading struggles we're like right an, there. We're like an hour number three or yeah, just about. So, yeah. um, I think I know why even the great Pac-12 teams struggle on the road. There is just too much diversity in the places they play. Oh, okay. Every year you're probably going to play one game. I thought this was going to go a really bad path, Frank, so I'm glad you, I'm glad you steered clear. Uh, every year you're probably going to play one game in altitude, one game in the desert, one game in the rainy Pacific Northwest, and a game in California. Add to that the large distances to be covered in half the road play, and you've got a conference like no other. The SEC is always hot and humid everywhere in August and September and gets very pleasant by October and November. Same with the Big 12. Once hurricane season ends, the ACC has very little variation from location to location. The Big 10 goes from pleasant to cold everywhere as the season progresses. None have conditions that change weekly like the Pac-12. It's an interesting thought. I'd love to, I'm sure somebody can do something that they would apply statistics to this in some form or fashion. Um, It's certainly an interesting thought. I do think there is more um, topographic and uh, climate diversity in the Pac-12 than there are in other leagues. So in the Big 12, you do have the weird outlier West Virginia, which is going to give you a little bit of a different look than the rest of the Big 12. Um, but everywhere else, it's pretty much similar. Um, so I think you're right. Uh, I think the Pac-12 is definitely much more diverse from that perspective. Yeah, I agree. I, I think the numbers would be interesting, David. I bet you if you they did, if I don't know if uh, Bill Connolly does stuff like this, but if you're talking about road games, you know, within uh, you know 150 miles, road games within 500 miles, road games within like 1500 miles, I would bet the further away they go over time you lose more, you know, I, I bet you the numbers would work out that way, but I haven't, I haven't I've, seen that. I've got a really interesting one for you that I was just looking at today and it's somewhat relevant to this conversation. Um, so the USC UCLA rivalry, right? In 1982, UCLA moved into the Rose bowl. USC stayed in the Coliseum since 82 UCLA is 11 and eight at the Rose bowl in the, in the rivalry um, with a slightly positive margin of victory. So they've won by like, I think it's like an average of, 
0.7 points. But at the Coliseum, UCLA is 6-11-1 and lost by an average of 10 points. Huh. So that's a home road split where it's literally like 15 miles between the two stadiums, um, which I, I thought was interesting. I mean, that actually shows you there's an actual uh, – and I didn't control for whether the team was good that year. I figured over the course of you know the 20 – the 27 years of that time that they were equally good and bad during those stretches. Um, and obviously UCLA had a bad stretch in the middle of that where they'd racked up a lot of losses at the Coliseum, but they didn't do the same thing at the Rose Bowl and the Rose Bowl games were always closer too. Um, so I thought that was really interesting because that kind of gives you, Oh, that's a pretty clear indicator that home road actually does matter quite a bit. Yeah. When, when distance doesn't come into play. Yeah, and that's distance not coming into play. That's basically the same stadium, you know. But I would, 10, I would think apart. if like if you have to travel across the country, it you know it has a negative impact sometimes. Yeah, maybe even more. But I'm saying that even without the travel, there was a negative impact yeah. in that game. So all the more reason not to have an extra road conference game. Perfect. That's you, you are yeah. just hammering that. <laughs> just. I've never seen somebody like somebody so discontented with being so obviously wrong. Jeez. It's really sad to watch. Yeah. Well, thanks, Frank, uh, for that interesting stuff. Yeah, playing in the desert, playing in the Pacific Northwest, traveling a lot. It's not easy. Yeah. So it's not. So you definitely don't want to have that extra road game, especially in the Pac-12. <laughs> in the SEC, you could because it's the same, the same environment, but you know, it's not that far. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> okay. You're right. I'm glad You're we all agree. Right. Yeah. Perfect. Uh-huh. Um, all right, well, I guess we should wrap it up because we are into hour number three. Yeah, and there's only four games to preview this week. We, we've really got to figure this thing out. So, I, I, it, Where's the time go? It wasn't a lot of questions. There were only four games to preview. We're deep into conference play, so there's not even that much to talk about during the games. Like It's not like we're talking about the non-conference games where there are 12, but we're two hours into this sucker. Yeah, it's crazy. I got an email that maybe this is why we're into this thing. Uh, I'm going to go it's, just say it's Tyler. This was an email to me, but so it's not about the Pac-12 podcast, but it's about the USC podcast. It says, hey, Ryan, love all the podcasts, but I'd be careful to keep the, quote, banter to an absolute minimum. I don't mean to be grumpy, but really all I'm interested in is USC football. Again, I really appreciate all that you do, so I'm writing as a fan from Tyler. Like, that stuff's kind of weird. Like, I mean... We've- there's a there's a strong undercurrent of people who only want the thing that they're interested in talked about on the thing they're listening to. And it's interesting to me because if you want just pure information, this is about the worst medium to get pure information. Podcast? It's it's a podcast. Like you can read so much faster than you can listen to anything. Go read any one of your number of analyses about USC football, right? Yeah. Don't don't sit there listening to a podcast for your USC football stuff. You're listening for people talking about it. You know, oh, that's an opinion I identify with. This is an opinion I don't identify with. And if they bring something else in, it can be fun and interesting to listen to. But if you're like one of those people who's like really narrow and siloed with your interests, podcast is probably not the form for you. Yeah. Like go read. That's fine. Like it's it can not be for everyone, but like we don't go two hours because we're talking Pac-12 football the entire time. <laughs> I mean, it'd be great if we did. Well, I mean, this <laughs> but, show wouldn't be as popular as it is if it was only information. Like We would only have 50 listeners instead of the robust 75 that right. we have. Uh, but you're listening to people. You're listening, you know, and they're probably talking about something that you're interested in. But if you don't like the people, 
you're not going to listen for that information, I would think. So, you know, the, the banter, the quote unquote banter is you want it to be entertaining. Like, yeah, I want to hear what they think about the Washington State Cougars. But if you didn't think that Dave and I were somewhat funny or annoying or whatever, like there's some reason you would listen. Us talking has some sort of effect on you. And it might be good. It might be bad. But it's not just because you're curious about uh, who's playing you know, right guard at USC. Like you might hear that, but you're not going to hear, I mean, most of it's going to be kind of our opinions and things like that and how we deliver it. If you don't find that entertaining, you're probably not going to listen. Yeah, this is, this is, I mean, I I hate to say it, but this is entertainment more than it is like a, uh, I don't know, an informational podcast, or at least it's evolved that way. Maybe we were more informational at the beginning, but we, I, mean, I, I still, I don't think so. We try to, I mean, obviously, you know, we watch all the games. We want to give you our opinions. We're picking the games. We're previewing. We're, you know, we'll talk to relevant people because we cover two of these teams, you know, very closely. Uh, I think it's helped me in my coverage of USC because I know a lot more about the rest of the Pac-12 from doing this. So it's helpful for me. Um, and I think a lot of the people that listen, they know their team um, and they want to hear their team being talked about, but they also want to hear, you know, what's the high level stuff for these other teams that I might not know about. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. We're great. That's what I'll say. <laughs> We're just fantastic. Yeah. Uh, I'll have to, we know, do so much homework too. We do a lot of, yes. Well, we do watch all the games and everything. That's that is true. Dude, the Friday game for me. And then I was going to stay in Colorado and like visit friends and stuff, but like something got weird with the flight. So I took an earlier flight. So, it, but you know, so it kind of sucked. I didn't get to hang out with my friends more, but I got home and I was really exhausted. Like we didn't get home until like two in the morning or whatever, or we didn't leave. We didn't leave Boulder until two in the morning. I had to drive back to Denver. So like you get to bed at three. Um, but by the time I got home, I was exhausted, but I just got to watch Pac-12 football for the rest of the afternoon. So that was, that was kind of cool. Don't get to do that all the time when you're covering Saturday games. Yeah, it's true. And even like for me, I'll have to like lock into the UCLA games, the stuff that's going on concurrently. So first, like probably few minutes, quarter of Oregon, Washington State, I had to catch up on. Um, but for the most part, we're watching we're watching all these things. Yeah, we do our best. All right, well, let's wrap it up. Uh, thanks, uh, everyone, for listening. We do appreciate. Thanks for the positive feedback and the reviews, sending in all the questions. Thanks. Uh, we got to, you know, this is awesome, Phil. Thank you. Washington State Cougars. Yeah. So very cool. I think you'll make a lot of Washington State fans happy. Let us know what you think about that. But we'll, uh, we'll wrap it up here. Thanks again for lo- tuning in, and we will talk to you next time.